Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Santa, you could win in APCO's Cash for Chrissy competition. That's right, APCO Joe. There's 1K to brighten your day. And 1K to give away to a mate for Christmas. APCO's Cash for Chrissy on now at APCO. <laughs> Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. At your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Hey, girl. Boys, superstar DJs, here we go! I feel like I'm in a nightclub in a Blade movie. What's that song, uh, Logan? Hey Boy, Hey Girl by the Chemical Brothers. Yeah, let's get hey. out there and uh, fight some vampires, eh? Wow. That is uh, that is quite... Would that fly with Smithy? Would he... Uh, <laughs> Probably not. It was, it was a very last-minute recommendation here by DJ Brian. <laughs> DJ Brian, that is he. Um, yeah, Smithy's not here, obviously. He's, um, he's flying back. Flying back to uh, the home base after the Women's Cricket World Cup. Great coverage of that uh, tournament by, by Scott and by Smithy. Um, so Sam Hewitt filling in for the next three hours, 9 till 12. And a very big weekend of sport we have just had, and I'm very keen to get your thoughts over the course of the morning. You can text us on the Temper Bed Post text machine, text machine, double eight double three. Give us a call if you want, 0800 150 811. And, gee, it's hard to know where to start. I mean, the Cricket World Cup, uh, final yesterday, the Women's Cricket World Cup final, where Australia uh, set 356 and 50 overs, in large part thanks to Alyssa Healy. She is just magnificent to watch. She has owned Hagley Oval today. She finished on 175, Alyssa Healy, taking uh, Australia 356. Um, just incredible. That Australian team is so dominant. Probably one of the most dominant cricket teams you'll ever see. Uh, I'm going to ask Smithy about that later on in the show. He's coming on. I'm going to ask him uh, if he's seen a more dominant cricket team um, in history and who would that be. Um, despite uh, an unbeaten 148, 
by England batter Nate Skyver, and that was a great innings in and of itself. Uh, it wasn't enough. Pressure will build with every dot. Catch it! Backing back, backing back. Yeah! That's the catch. The five-year master plan has come to fruition for Australia. They have what they came for. It's the World Cup title. They reinvented themselves after the semi-final of 2017. They have reinvented themselves into one-off, if not the best team we have ever seen. 71 runs, the winning margin in the end by Australia. Just, like I said before, dominant. Absolutely dominant. But I want to ask Smithy as well, was it a little bit disappointing from England? You know, could they have put up, I guess, a bit more of a fight? Um, they lost their first three games of the tournament and stormed back into the final, that the defending champs, remember, um, but basically walked over by Australia. Um, can't wait to talk to Smithy about that later on this morning. Uh, in the NRL, it was a round that started off with an absolute fizzer uh, on Thursday night. The Tigers and the Titans, probably one of the worst games of rugby league I've ever watched. Um, but progressively got more and more entertaining. And for Warriors fans, it culminated in a very impressive performance on Saturday afternoon. You know, the kicks there from Sean Johnson. Adam Fanua, Blake, more metres than anyone on the field, 154. Reynolds grubbering there. Cobo missed it, so did Brinko Lee. It ends up in the hands of the Warriors. And so do the two Premiership points this afternoon. At home at Redcliffe, for the first time in 2022, they've been too good for the boys from down the road. The Warriors at full-time have beaten the Broncos 20 points to 6. 20 points to 6 tries to Jesse Arthur. He got a double, Jesse Arthur's, and Marcelo Montoya. Uh, Jazz Savanga has uh, has been given a two-week suspension for um, one of the cannibal tackles in that game. Uh, you, was it uh, Flegler who got put on report four times for bad tackles as well? It uh, wasn't a good game for, for going on report disciplinary issues. Uh, the Broncos also in trouble with Payne Haas and Albert Kelly in a bit of a dust-up. That video has come out overnight um, and there will be repercussions. The Broncos have reported it to the NRL Integrity Unit. Uh, unit. So we will see uh, what comes of that. In Super Rugby, um, oh, we're going to talk to Vossi as well uh, on Rugby League this morning, um, I think just after 11. So uh, we'll talk to him about uh, that Broncos saga. Uh, in Super Rugby, the Crusaders narrowly escaping defeat to the Highlanders. The Highlanders now 0-6 in Super Rugby this season. Meanwhile, the Chiefs and the Hurricanes played out a Kiwi Classic. Show of brilliance and leadership, Adi Sabia. Oh, goosebumps. The finish is oh, all but over. The Chiefs have never won three in a row against the Hurricanes, and now they have. A wonderful game. Essentially shut the Hurricanes out of any form of comeback. Yep, 30 points to 29, the Chiefs and the Canes. One point in it. One point in it. That was fascinating. But one of the biggest talking points from the weekend was this. Blue's trying to put a big shove in, but it's a lovely pass away from Inari to Alosio. Oh, no, that's a terrible-looking collision. Two players down. And Tomasi Alosio, this is not going to look good. Oh, he was collected him in the air. Caleb Clark has been sent off. I know we harp on about uh, red cards. We almost hate 
to love talking about them, don't we? Um, it was hardly cynical from Caleb Clark, but uh, four red cards across the fir- first four games of the weekend. Are the players just not getting the message, or do you think the rules expect a bit too much uh, from a game that is inherently brutal and physical? I might ask uh, Justin Marshall that. That was a Super Rugby over the weekend, and we're going to talk some Super Rugby now to kick off the show. It's a pleasure to welcome in uh, Justin Marshall. He's the former All Black, former Crusader, host of In the Red here on SENZ. He joins us now. Uh, morning to you, Marshy. Good morning, Sammy. How's things, mate? Very well, mate. Very well. Um, let's start with uh, probably the game of the round for me, which was the Chiefs and the Canes. Um, the Canes nearly did what they did back to the Blues in round two, down 15 points with 12 minutes to go, and they bring it back to a, a single point in the final whistle. It's just a, it was just a Kiwi classic, wasn't it, Marshy? Yeah, it certainly was, and didn't it spark straight into um, life with TJ Perinara's uh, early intercept? which really set the game alight. And then the Chiefs respond really quickly with Anton Leonard-Brown going on. You know, Sunday afternoon um, of rugby, and you're thinking, man, we're going to be entertained. And it didn't let anyone down, including the players, right up until the 80th minute. Um, and like you said, uh, when it looked like the Hurricanes are dead and gone, um, they found a way, found a res- some resolve to get back into the game. Um, and, you know, Geordie Barrett's goal-kicking was pretty good as well. Uh, and just the point in it at the finish, two teams that, we're evenly matched, and um, you know the Chiefs got the job done on the day. You know, what a piece of genius, right at the finish from Bryn Gatlin. Yeah. Really, to be perfectly honest, you know the game was still in the balance here. But only, you know, when you got Geordie Barrett on the field, you know it only takes a penalty from let's say fifty-five, maybe sixty meters. Um, he's capable of kicking it from that far. So the fact that um, Gatlin could pin them in the twenty-two, and and the Chiefs could then just wind the clock down um, and enable them to get the job done. When you look at the um, the Canes so far this season, that loss against the Crusaders in round one, they scored three tries in the final 10 minutes of that game, did the same against the Blues, although they got the result, and then and then did it again um, with the Chiefs on the weekend. Clearly they're finishing games well, Marshy, but what do they need to fix maybe in that first 60 minutes of the game to, I guess, turn some of these narrow losses into wins? Yeah, one of the, one of the things that they're very good at is scoring tries. They're quite a lethal team when they get their rhythm um, and, and get into their work. So they're, they're more than capable of scoring tries. I think what they're actually having is moment, moments of switching off. And when they do switch off, you know, it, 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 it concedes them line breaks. It concedes them discipline and penalty problems was a big problem for them yesterday. I think um, Duplessis Karifi, he, he got penalised a few times, which uh, cost them points. Uh, and... They are moments of discipline, including switching off defensively, that are really hurting them. So, you know, that, it's kind of a catch-22 for them because they're so potent when they get an opportunity at mm. scoring points and turning the game really quickly on its head. But equally, they then switch off or have some discipline issues that let the opposition back in very quickly. So I think if mentally they can get on top of that and they show more resolve defensively uh, and then don't have those lapses in discipline, then, then they don't let the opposition get back in when they are scoring points. Mm. What did you What did you make of Jordy at, at twelve? Marshall, I know a lot of it was made about that in the lead up to the game, and and you know some people not happy that he was getting moved from his, I guess, number one position. But how do you think he went at twelve? Oh, he was good and solid, and, and you know he made he made some very aggressive uh, tackles uh, as well. So you know he's he's a big, strong guy. He ran hard. Um, you know, a couple of nice little touches, a couple of nice passes to free up the outside backs but 
I think it's too confined a space for him, to be perfectly honest. There's no doubt in my mind that he can play there and he can play there at a very high level in Super Rugby. But you, you just get the feeling that with more space, with more time on the ball um, and a broader, and broader vision at fullback where he can see the entire field, I think that's where he's best utilised. And as I think in my mind, fullback is, is a position where he just... He, he gets more space and he brings his skill set into the game a lot more. You know, like that ability to kick, chase, um, retrieve the ball or to diffuse problems when the opposition are coming at you. Um, defensively, a lot of people don't realise how good he is at the back, um, at, at you know shutting down line breaks and aggressively nailing a, a, a player that has, has broken the line and is threatening you know their, their line. So, look... Definitely a pass mark, mate. There's no doubt he can play there, but in my mind, he, 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 his skill set is better utilised at fullback. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. Um, the other New Zealand game, the Highlanders uh, pushing the Crusaders right to the edge, but the Crusaders doing what they always do and, and tightening the screws with about 20 minutes to go and, and end up holding on 17-14. The Highlanders are, are 0-6, sitting at the bottom of the table, but it doesn't feel like they're an 0-6 team, Marshy. How do you assess their season at this stage? Yeah, you're right. It doesn't feel like they're an own six team. And I don't think there's any games in those six that they've lost where they've been completely shut out of the game. They've always been in the contest, regardless of who it is, whether it's the Blues or the Crusaders or the Hurricanes or whoever it might be. So, you know, that's probably something that um, is very evident, that, that they're not a team that is being beaten and beating soundly each week. They're in every contest. And again... There's contests that they've been in where they've possibly been the slightly better team. I thought they, they were the better, consistent team across the ballpark at the weekend against the Crusaders on Friday night. And mm. the statistics reinforce that. You know, they had more possession. They had better territory. You know, they nearly spent 10 minutes inside the Crusaders' 22, and the Crusaders only spent three and a half minutes inside the Highlanders' 22. And, and again, worrying for the Crusaders, they had to double uh, the tackle count of the Highlanders. I think the Highlanders made something like 68 tackles and the Crusaders had to make 130. So here's a team that's dominating the game but not winning the game on the scoreboard. And, and you talk to Tony Brown and, uh, you know, he's he's saying the same things that we're all seeing. But he's saying it week to week to week, which is our execution's just off at pivotal times in games. We're not nailing down our opportunities. But you know, how, how long do you continue to bang that drum mm. before the players listen and before the players actually learn? And, you know, like you know, Mitch, Mitch Hunt missed a couple of very kickable um, opportunities, penalties that could have gotten them into the game. One, he actually turned down and went for touch and he put that dead. You know, another t- a couple of times they didn't quite get their line-out execution right when they had the Crusaders down to 14 men. They missed their opportunity. So you're right. In, in a nutshell, they're not uh, an 0-6 team. But, you know, they're just lacking a little bit of that big game experience to nail the games that they should be winning, like the Crusaders on Friday. Scott Robinson, mate, he was like, he was like he'd won lotto after the game. <laughs> he was like, poor, big, deep size after size, saying, wow. Because he, know he'd, he knew he'd got out of a game there. Yeah. But he'd only got out of the game because the Highlanders had let him. Mm. And uh, I think he sort of had a, it was more released than anything from his perspective, and Tony Brown just looked a completely frustrated man once again. Mm. Well, they're playing um, Moana Pacifica on uh, on Friday night, and you know, I'm hesitant mm. now to say that Moana Pacifica are an easy beat because <laughs> we've seen what they've done. Is this, you know, I guess the prime opportunity for them to pick up their first win? 
Yeah, I think it is. But again, you're right, because Moana Pacifica are trending quite nicely, aren't they? And again, they're another team that sometimes look like they're being shut out of the contest and then they find a way back into it. Uh, so, you know, at your peril and the Hurricanes experience this firsthand that, you know, they've got such firepower across the board that if they can stay in the contest, they're always, always going to get hurt. Um, by their scrum and by line out more. Like I looked at that game at the weekend, and really I think everybody that was watching, as well as all the Blues players and management, probably knew that if they could get inside the 22 and set up a line out more, that they were probably going to come with uh, come away with either a penalty or or a try. And you know that was the way that they knew they could break Minor Pacifica down, which is a which is a massive hamstring to go into every game with. That that set piece is going to hurt you on the scoreboard, but then and again, they have this ability to just break the game open with this raw talent and this amazing ability to be physical. And um, you know, at your peril, you would say that they are a team that you can just go out there and set piece and beat. So Highlanders are capable of beating them, like they have any team in this comp. But yeah, I'm a bit like you. I would, I would not tick that box as a. <laughs> A shoe and win for the Highlanders, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Marcia, I mentioned um in the in the intro um just about the, the red cards and, and the Caleb Clark one's the one that obviously everyone's been talking about. And there were four red cards across the first four games of the round, um, including some over in Aussie. We know that World Rugby's cracking down on the contact area, particularly around the head, and that's I guess a big part of why we're seeing so many. But is it also like are the players do they need to get the message and become more disciplined, or do you think the rules maybe just are a little bit unrealistic? Like it's a it's a physical and brutal game that's going to have these sorts of collisions. Yeah, I understand the law, and, and I'm all for protecting the players because you know head concussion is a big problem in the game at the moment. So I'm certainly not unaware of that, but in my mind, at the moment, the officials are getting it wrong in, in certain instances. Um, I think there was a clear cut example of that in the Crusaders game where. Uh, Shiloh Klein um, dropped his arm, led with his shoulder, connected with the, the player. There was no mitigation, and he, he got him with um, a shoulder in the head. Now, that's what they're trying to outlaw out of the game. Mm. But Caleb Clark's example is, is just a complete um, accident. you know. And what the referees are not doing is finding a way to use, which they have in the directive of the law, which is mitigation. Now, mitigation for Caleb Clark is he's left his feet. He's in the air before that player has made contact with him. Now, when you're in the air, there's nowhere you can go. And the fact that the player collided with him with his head on Caleb Clark's hip, hip, there's nothing Caleb Clark could do to avoid that. That's mitigation. And that's the referees not looking at the circumstances, understanding that split-second impact and making a good, sensible decision that this guy had no intent whatsoever to make any contact with the other player's head. So to give a red card in circumstances like that just completely um, bamboozles me. And there's other instances of that. There was an incident with, uh, with Tom Banks in the game against the Force where he just got caught by a split-second decision. He was going hard at the corner flag. The guy cut back and he didn't expect it. They clashed heads. He got knocked out and had to leave the field. And he got a red card. Now, you know, the, the referees in that instance are only looking at the contact. They're not, they're not looking at what has happened that has led to that contact, and that's where they're getting it massively wrong. So I think they've got to um, look at the way that they're officiating it, make sure that they're using mitigation and understand what the players were trying to do mm. and whether there was any intent there, or purely, sometimes in rugby, there's just a split second where it's accidental. 
Um, and, and, you know, nobody wants anyone to get hurt. I'll give you the tip, mate. When I was out there playing rugby, the one thing I did not want to do was collide my head with another player's head because you don't know how you're going to come off. So mm. no player out there is looking to make head-on-head contact with anybody. Um, that, that's a sure way to knock yourself out rather than the opposition. So the fact that they're trying to outlaw it from the game is good, but we don't want to see red cards when players have no intent and there's accidental contact out there because that's really ruining the game and it's hurting people that um, purely have have made an accidental contact. So it needs some work, mate. You can mm. understand my passion for it. <laughs> yeah, I, can. <laughs> I can, Marshy. And even someone's texting here, Tony says, totally agree with Marshy, spot on. So there you go, mate. You've got a few uh, supporters yep. as well on the text stream. Um, Justin Marshall, thanks each for joining us, mate. Absolute pleasure. Um, we'll catch up again soon. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Have a good day. There you go. Justin Marshall here, former All Black, former Crusader, host of In the Red here on ECNZ and, of course, uh, commentates on Sky Sports. Um, yeah, if you've got any thoughts about that, double eight, double three. Um, you, do you agree with Marshy in that um, the common sense just isn't prevailing with the refereeing at the moment when it comes to these red cards? We all want the, the kid knocks out, Lord. We all, we all aware of the, I guess, issue of concussion, but... Um, yeah, at what stage do you look and go, you know, this is a game that's physical, it's brutal, these things happen, these contacts happen, and sometimes they're unpre- un- unavoidable um, is, probably, is probably the word. So give us a text on the Timber Bed Post text machine, double eight, double three. We'll take a break. We'll be back right after this. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Welcome back in. Uh, SCNZ, Sam Hewitt sitting in for uh, Ian Smith, who is on a plane. He'll be back with us. Are you back tomorrow? I think he's back tomorrow, eh? Yep, he's back on the show tomorrow morning, 9 till 12. Um, so I'm taking you through until 12 today. Um, just just got to let you know, Polaris just come on board as our um, as our naming sponsor for the show, which is fantastic news. Um, they're great Polarises. I tell you, I, um, a mate of mine had one on his farm in Apodiki, and we would just hoon around the farm on his Polaris shooting possums and rabbits and all sorts. They're great um, little sort of 4x4 vehicles, and um, I know they do. Do they just do buggies, or do they do... They actually do cars. You, you mentioned there's a car and a video game that you love playing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if anyone out there that plays uh, Forza Horizon 5, the Polaris is great for smashing the mountains and going uphill on dirt tracks. Yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. So I imagine very like that in real life. Just yes. make sure you drive responsibly and yeah. safely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they're probably made for that, right? Made for going through the mud and going through mountains and all that sort of thing. No, they're great little uh, great little vehicles. So, uh, yeah, great to have Polaris on board um, with Smithy's show. Uh, now, Roscoe, Ross Taylor, he's playing in um, – his, it's his final game uh, this afternoon. Is it, is it at two? Is it first ball at two, Logan? Uh, I believe it's at two. Yeah. I'm not sure. Daylight savings. I've got to – Try and recalibrate True. things yeah, a little bit here. We're but. all recalibrating. So um, final game for Ross Taylor this afternoon against the Netherlands, which is obviously massive. Um, and we're going to play a little competition, um, which I'm going to tell you about very, very shortly. But before I do, we're just going to have a little uh, listen to uh, Ross Taylor ahead of this afternoon's game. Yeah, it would be nice to make one last contribution. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want to put too much pressure on yourself. Um, whatever situation you come in, try and sum it up as quick as possible um, and enjoy it. Um, yeah, I mean... It was nice to take a couple of catches. Um, haven't felt like I haven't taken a catch for a while, so it was nice to, to make a contribution like that. Ross Taylor's last game, and what I want you to text in, double eight double three, the Temper Bedpost text machine, I want you to give us your score prediction for this afternoon. What do you think Roscoe's going to go out with? And we've got a TAB $50 bonus bet that we're going to give away to the person who gets the closest. Ross Taylor's final score in a black cap shirt, what's he going to get? 
Is he going to go out with an absolute bang, get a century, poke the tongue out? Or, uh, well, actually, I'm not even going to entertain the idea that he's not going to do that. But uh, we want your closest score on double eight, double three. And if you get the closest, $50 in TRB bonus bets coming your way. Got a few texts we're going to get through here, um, as well as a few other things after the news, which is coming up right now. Nine thirty-two here on SCNZ. Keep your texts coming through. Double eight, double three. Uh, just write Ross Taylor and then the uh, score you think he's going to get this afternoon. So make sure you write Ross Taylor and then the score, so we know what you're going in for. Terby bonus bet up for grabs. Right. Um, I'm going to get to your texts very, very shortly. Before I do, uh, Sam Warnenberg. He's a Kiwi basketballer who's into his sixth year at the University of Miami. He's been taking full advantage of the educational opportunities uh, available to him, working towards two masters. Two masters, that's quite incredible. But while studying uh, the former Rangitoto College student, has also been a key part of the Hurricanes basketball squad that last week saw their magical run in the NCAA's March Madness come to an end at the Elite Eight. They went down to the top-seeded Kansas. Now, uh, Ricardo Ball uh, caught up with Sam uh, earlier, and uh, we're just going to play that out for you now because it's such a good chat and he's such a good rooster. So, uh, Ricardo Ball, catch up with Sam. Wardenberg galloping, oh, he'll fly! And trying to return the favor to Condit. Remember, he got posterized in that first half. Two of 16 from downtown for Iowa State. Wardenberg, three, got it! He sticks a triple! What a game he's had! Six-point swing, right? You miss a three at one end. And Wardenberg knocks down one at the other. Wardenberg. Let's talk basketball. This season, uh, for you, uh, I mean, I know that you get better and better as you, as you go through your collegiate career, but you can really see it. You look at your stats, you know, your field goal percentage this season is up over 10 points over what it's been any of your previous seasons. And I know yeah. you missed last season with that that foot injury. Uh, what, do you, what do you think's played into how your shooting's improved for this season? Yeah, so, you know, once I had that injury, I was really like, I was put in like a little wheelie thing. I had to have my knee up the entire time. So I really couldn't put any weight on one foot for about four months there. So uh, me and my coach just worked all that time just on the basic mechanics of just, you know, flicking my wrist, making sure the ball was sitting right in my hand. And he constantly just showed me videos and whatnot of, uh, you know, great shooters, Clay Thompson, Ray Allen, all those guys. And it was a good like four, four, four or five months there where it was just like really pinpointing the small things of a jump shot. And I think, I think that helped me so much. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, field goal percentage up, three point uh, percentage up as well. Uh, yeah, full credit to Coach Al and the job he did, you know, working with me when I was out for that season. Yeah, I mean, you bounced back uh, beautifully. And, you know, for you know the Miami Hurricanes, they're not uh, traditionally a, a, a sort of a, a top eight, a top four side, no. but, you got, but you guys have got there. You know, you uh, you won, was it the first time in four attempts at Sweet 16 level? Uh, you've got through to the, the top eight. Obviously, you lost to the number one seed, but there's no, uh, there's no shame in that. Uh, what does that mean for the program? What does it mean for you? Yeah, I'm, you know, after the, uh, after the loss... Um, I, all the guys in the locker room, you know, we, we just kept on telling each other, just be super proud of what we've done. Uh, there's no there's no reason to be sad or anything like that. Obviously, 
all this coming to an end, that's the sad part. But, you know, we, we did make school history, you know, first time the school went to the Elite Eight. Um, and that was just an amazing, you know, once in a lifetime experience in itself. It, it really is kind of everything that you dreamed on of on the next level, you know, media, all that stuff that we had like 20,000 fans in attendance for that game. It was, you know, crazy. And you're, and you're playing in an arena where the, one of the greatest basketball players of all time played in as well. You know, uh, it's kind of all a bit surreal. And uh, I, I still feel like me personally and a lot of the other guys, it's still taking a bit of time now to kind of realize what we actually did. Um, yeah, it, it, it was crazy. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that's the main emphasis. Just super proud of everyone who was a part of the program, part of this year, especially with the, you know, the three years leading up to this. It, it, it's been rough for us. We uh, had FBI investigations, uh, a bunch of injuries, uh, and that just really hurt our program for a little bit there. So to see it back where it is now, that, that just makes kind of everyone and myself like super happy yeah that's fantastic man i mean it, it's it's culminated in that but it, there, there's been you know points along the road both personal uh and and as a collective as well i mean you know you brought up 100 games at nc uh, ncaa uh division one level that's only been done i think 13 times before you were the 13th from, from a new zealander to play that many uh, you beat duke on the road, which is, you know, that's a landmark uh, 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 <laughs> result as well. I mean, you know, that's that's a big program. What, what do you put it down to, the success this season as a collective? You know, you can look at several things uh, that contributed to our success. Uh, I think the main point that a lot of us look at is that we just had this kind of special kind of bond and togetherness since, like, day one as a team. Uh, there was no, like selfishness or anything like that everyone was kind of just playing for each other trusting one another and that's something that just yeah it really was there since day one and early on in the season we had we had quite a bit of adversity you know we, we started the season off four and three uh you know and that's not really the greatest start or the start that you're looking for uh when you're playing non-conference uh but that's also you know the way college basketball is now you have the whole transfer uh, transfer portal now and that's kind of insane it's kind of like its own free agency um, and our conference, the ACC, uh, had like, I think the most transfers, uh, compared to other conferences. And when you have all these like older new guys come in, I, th- I think that like takes a while, uh, for teams to kind of get flowing and whatnot. And, uh, you know, that, that, that made it kind of difficult for one, my, our, our school, Miami, and then, uh, a few other schools in our, our, our conference that actually have like a good resume for, uh, the, the final March Madness tournament and getting selected for that, uh, you know, our togetherness and whatnot, we, we, we weren't really concerned that that helped us during those times of adversity and, uh, yeah, just what we accomplished. Super proud of these guys. Yeah, man, you guys have, yeah, you guys have had a magic season. Uh, it's obviously a highlight uh, for your career so far as well. Uh, I mean, we see over here, you know, we watch a lot of ESPN and things, and we see guys, you know, that have been in your position uh, before in their last year of uh, college ball, guys like Zion Williamson getting all sorts of, you know, silly money thrown at them. I mean, uh, you know, are you, are you having a... Um, you know, sort of uh, brace the door to stop all the Adidas and Nike agents coming through offering you shoe deals at the moment. How how does that all work for you? No, uh, not, none of that. I, um, actually, the whole uh, the the thing this season for all of college basketball, uh, not college basketball, but just college sports in general, is uh, they had the they introduced the name, image, and likeness where athletes could get paid off. You know, promoting themselves. Yeah. Um, and obviously, that was super exciting when you know that was kind of coming about and being announced that like athletes will be able to make some money now uh, and it won't be a violation. But 
then the hard truth was that us as international players weren't allowed to do that whatsoever because it wasn't an NCAA thing, it was a US government thing that we're here as uh, uh, students and not as employees. So, uh, yeah, that, that kind of was a bummer that we couldn't get paid in that in that sense. Uh, but, you know, that, that, that's another thing. That's another distraction that you don't have to worry about. So you look at that as a blessing in itself, kind of. Um, but hopefully now, you know, wherever, wherever I go, whatever I do now, hopefully you can start making a bit more money off, off the sport I love. I want to continue playing it for as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say that was going to be my, my next question is, you know, based on this season particularly, uh, I mean, you've, you've got this great resume, but this season has really, I, I would say, pushed you and your teammates into another bracket. Uh, how much does it improve your chances of the draft? And, and, and uh, you know, what do, what do you expect from that? Is that a conversation you've had with people? Yeah, so I've been talking to like my assistant coaches and stuff. You know, there's uh, there's a few. Obviously, as a senior, you're not going to be like invited to like the the main NBA draft combine or anything like that. Uh, they usually leave that for the younger guys and whatnot, uh, the guys who are certain to be a, you know in the in that draft and whatnot. But there's a few camps that they they hold for like senior guys, guys in their last year. Um, so I've been talking to assistant coaches, trying to get into that and whatnot. Uh, I'm not I'm not too you know panicked or worried about what I'm doing now. Uh, I definitely want to finish my uh, master's degree. That's definitely something I want to do, and that, that should hopefully be done during the summertime here. Um, but, yeah, I'm just not, not too worried. Just letting things come to me as they go. Um, hopefully it all works out for the best. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, man, hopefully. Uh, going forward, you know, positionally, uh, you know, I mean, you're 6'10", you're a big man, and we have... Obviously, Stephen Adams uh, is is New Zealand's where you know one hope in the NBA. So wherever he goes, uh, you know that's who New Zealanders tend to support. Uh, and he's a yeah. centre, and he's you know not that much bigger than you. I know you generally play forward, but uh, um, uh, well, when I say not much bigger in terms of not much taller than you, should we say? Yeah, I'm not taller. Talking, no, yeah. He's definitely a lot stronger, a lot heavier. Than <laughs> Big guy. Right uh, what, what's what's your plan uh, going forward in terms of positionally? Do you see yourself as a forward long term, or do you think you could? play center and transition as you get older yeah well uh, you know the sport's kind of changing in itself to kind of like a positionless kind of game uh obviously you got have guys like steve who are you know just units who do a, a tremendous job playing defense rebounding the ball you know one of the best rebounders in the nba and that, that that's something you can't really uh change or anything like that you don't want to really give that up but uh you know our team this year, we, we played like a five-out offense. It's not your traditional way of playing basketball. It was kind of more like a Warriors, the way they kind of play with Draymond at the five. Uh, you know, everyone just kind of moving around, sharing the ball a lot. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of see that kind of becoming the normish kind of thing in basketball now, where they're trying to get a bit more movement, a bit more speed to the game and whatnot. Uh, so, you know, I, I, had, I had a lot of fun playing the five this year with the team. But, you know, traditionally, I was always like a, kind of like a four-man. Uh, that's what I was recruited as, uh, kind of a stretch four. So, you know, I'm more than happy to go back into that role, whatever team picks me up or anything like that. Uh, just, yeah, I'm more than happy. I feel like I've a versatile game where I'm able to adjust whatever a team really needs. Um, so, yeah, kind of just moving forward with the way the game is kind of changing as well. That's, that's kind of how I see it. And uh, I think we have quite a bit of talent coming out of New Zealand as well with, you know, you have Sam Meninger at Davidson. He, he kind of has that same role as well. You know, he's able to step out hit a three and whatnot, uh, but he's a big boy as well. So, you know, the game's changing and it's just exciting to see all that. Yeah, it is. Uh, what about playing for New Zealand? I know you've been a junior tall black and things as well. You've been a world champs, 3x3, etc. Uh, 
obviously we haven't had much luck getting Stephen back into the Tall Blacks. That's 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 quite well known. Uh, what what are your feelings on playing international basketball, particularly if you get picked up in the draft and you end up in an NBA team? Yeah, uh, I've always wanted to come back and play for you know the Tall Blacks. There, um, I've always wanted to represent New Zealand. I I, I loved playing for the Junior Tall Blacks, uh, going to Egypt and experiencing that with those guys. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to play with the men at the at the next level uh, if I get an opportunity there. But, you know, as I said before, I'm kind of just letting things come uh, now. I'm not, I'm not not too stressed or worried about it all. But uh, if I do get that opportunity, I'd, I'd love to put on the black singlet. If, if the draft doesn't work out for you, you don't you don't end up in an NBA team. Is coming back home, breakers or, or that league something you would look at? Or would you prefer to maybe look to Europe? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be more than happy to come back home. You know, it's been a, been a while since I've been back home. So that, that, that's definitely something that's on my mind now. Even, uh, I've been in, in talks with a lot of, uh, a lot of teams in that league right now. Uh, you know, I, I had a few coaches in there as well who, who were coaching me when I was younger. So I got good connections there. Uh, you know, we got great players in that league. So I'd be more than comfortable coming back and playing, playing there. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not, not cancelling out any options whatsoever. You know, if, if Europe comes about and there's an opportunity there, I'll definitely look at that uh, potentially. Uh, but, you know, i, I got I to sign an agent for all those things first, uh, you know, figure those things out. Um, but, yeah, as I said, not, not rushing into it whatsoever. That'd be fantastic. Okay, Sam, listen, thanks very much for giving us so much of your time. We really appreciate it. I know that your, your basketball run is over uh, for now uh, and you're concentrating on that second master. So good luck with that. And uh, I yep. can't wait to see what happens for you next. And uh, hopefully we can talk again then. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. There you go. Uh, Sam Wardenberg catching up with Ricardo um, Kiwi Basketball, who plays for uh, the University of Miami. They lost to Kansas, um, who were the number one seed, and they are playing in the final, which I believe is tomorrow in the March Madness NCAA men's basketball. It's the UNC, the Tar Heels, which is Michael Jordan's old college, uh, facing off against Kansas. And Kansas is sort of like the spiritual home of basketball. That's where the, the rules, I think it's the 12 rules, of basketball were first created. There's a really good 30 for 30 on that um, about the the rules of basketball that some guy found in a museum and ended up saying it's really, really good. Um, keep your texts uh, coming in on double eight, double three. We've got lots here that I want to read out, um, but we're going to take a very short break and we're also going to catch up with uh, Louis Herman Watt, our Love Racing Update, right after this. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. NZ Update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Yep. Time for our loveracing.nz update with uh, Louis, who's um, at home at the moment. Louis, how are you feeling, mate? Are you in bed, on the mend? Yeah, no, I'm good as gold, mate. I'm, uh, I was struck down with some mystery punting illness. Um, so <laughs> relatable. That's relatable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very, very. Um, but, you know, just like the trends of punting, I will be bounced back because there is no such last race. Uh, there's always another race to sink your teeth into. This weekend, of course, day two of the championships. Big, big, big weekend this weekend, Sammy. We had a huge performance by Maven Bell taking out the Group 1 size down there, a homebred by Tiako uh, down the line at Awapuni. Um, some fantastic performances around the board, really, across the ditch in Australia. The Kiwi breads. Just kept turning it up. Doncaster had the first three across the line were the Kiwi breads, so that is pretty special to see Mr. Brightside taking that out ahead of I'm Thunderstruck. And this weekend, it's just going to continue on because the chosen one, it's going to be a real red-hot chance in the Sydney Cup. 
Um, very elegant's going to contest the Queen Elizabeth. Uh, we're going to have th- I'm Thunderstruck backing up again. So New Zealanders are killing it across the ditch in Australia at the moment, as we have been doing so well over the last season. And um, winter racing kind of ramps up here in New Zealand. So the horses that like getting their toe into it and like the wet tracks, that you start seeing them more and more from April onwards. Brilliant. Thanks heaps, mate. Um, are we running out of time here desperately? I didn't leave you enough space, but um, good stuff. Thanks heaps for coming on and uh, giving us an update. No worries, man. There you go. Louis Hemmer-Watt. I did want to talk to him about Dynastic, where I t- heard him talking about the Breakfast Boys um, this morning, but um, we are running out of time. Um, we're going to take a short break. We've got lots of texts coming in here on the Temper Post temper bed post text machine double eight double three um i'll read a couple of those out after this local polaris dealer today summer or winter he's the voice of sport in aotearoa this is mornings with ian smith on SENZ. Gee, i don't know if i'd call myself the voice of sport in aotearoa um certainly smithy is obviously but uh sam here i don't know about that i'm filling in until Smithy's back uh, tomorrow. He's going to join us later on in the show, actually, to talk some uh, cricket, the Women's World Cup, and, of course, the Black Caps this afternoon. We're also going to catch up with Vossi um, to talk NRL. A few stories coming out of the NRL, including Payne Haas and Albert Ke- Kelly from the Broncos in a wee brouhaha um, that might land them in a little bit of trouble. Um, lots of texts coming in here on the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three. but we have to move a few things around on the show today to accommodate people's planes and travel etc so stumped by sammy is going to be right after the news at 10 o'clock stumped by sammy so we need you to call up now 0800 150 811 there are prizes galore up for grabs three categories three questions you know how it all works 0800 150 811 if you want to play stumped by sammy you've got to call now and we're going to do it after the news okay after the news and also after 10 o'clock we're going to uh, catch up with the panel uh, Lavina Good and I think it's Boss Dog Ruman coming in the studio as well um, yeah we'll catch up with him about uh, everything across the weekend as well as a TRB cross with Paul Mawadi News is next From behind the stumps to behind the mic nothing gets past Smithy this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. All right, it is time for Stumped by Smithy, but actually with Sammy and we are switching things up a little bit and doing things at 10 rather than 11.30. Daylight savings. Daylight savings, yeah, we're totally, that's that's (laughs) one excuse for it. Uh, Call in 0800 050 Oh, 150, sorry, 811, 0800 150 811. Uh, We do have one person in line. We had a bit of issues there with our phone lines, unfortunately, but you can still win. You still got a chance. Uh, Smithy, oh man, I can't wait to have him back. But after grabs, uh, today is $50 worth of TAB bonus bets, plus some sleep drops, daytime revive. Try New Zealand sleep drops for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. Always read the label and take us directed, sleepdrops.co.nz. Joining us at the crease now, first up in line, James from Christchurch. Come in, mate. G'day, how you going, boys? Good. How you doing down there, mate? How's it looking? Yeah, good. No, it's a bit overcast today, but I uh, can't complain too much. Crusaders scraped through in the weekend, so <laughs> points in the bank. Absolutely. And, uh, of course, it was a beautiful day yesterday at Hagley Oval. Did you catch any of the cricket? No, I, I didn't see much, but I was busy with the kids during the day. But um, I, I caught up with the scores, and, yeah, sort of as, as expected, the Aussies pretty dominant. 
mate. We know Sam and I know how it is juggling kids and trying to watch sport over the weekend. It can be, oh, yeah. it can be a real <laughs> battle. So I feel you there, mate. All right. So yeah. for any new listeners, uh, this is how the game works: three sporting categories to choose from today. Answer all three questions correctly, and you can win it all. Get a question wrong, it's over to Sam for a chance to knock your bales off. Get out in the first two questions and it's on to the next caller in line. And we do have a couple in check and waiting. Get dismissed on that final question and we jackpot tomorrow. Now, today's topics for you, James, are the America's Cup, Rugby League, and ice hockey. Take your pick. I'll go America's Cup. Hopefully, hopefully know some. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, old Sammy here, he's quite the uh, passionate man about the America's Cup. I am, but I don't know what I'm like. Oh, tri- uh, but I don't know what I'm like with trivia. So I don't know how this is going to go, James. All right. We'll test you. All right. We'll it's see. time for a bit of stumping. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, day last week, wasn't it? Um. <laughs> Got very fiery out in the office, I'll tell you, James. A lot of uh, back and forth between myself and a few other hosts around America's Cup. Got Yeah, yeah I, caught, I caught a wee bit of that. You, um, some strong view, but yeah, I appreciate that. Didn't, cu- didn't come to blows, mate. It was all, uh, it was all professional. But yeah. uh, I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure we won't get to that stage today, James. Don't you worry. Very cordial. All right. First question for you, James. Tauranga's finest, Peter Berlin, has competed in two America's Cups. Which year was he both helmsman and skipper? Uh, he was helmsman and skipper at the last America's Cup, which was 2021. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Sure was, and of course the other one, 2017, was his first. Uh, Sam, I know you would have been fully confident on that one. Yeah. All right, question number two for you, James. Black Magic, an icon of New Zealand sailing and a piece of America's Cup history. But while Black Magic is the name of the boat, what was the number of the boat? Oh, uh, it was 1995, wasn't that Black Magic? Uh, NZL, NZL 32. That's a couple of chips. Oh, right, right in the slot <laughs> and away it goes. Oh, mate, you were going was into it? the memory banks for that one, weren't was you? Was it NZL 64? For... I, I remember 95 well. I was about eight years old then, and I remember, you know, that was the first um, the first one that I really watched and really got into. And then was it NZL 60 in 2000, I think? That's the one I remember a few years later. Anyway. Oh, you're still... He's on fire. Yeah, you're on fire, mate. This is great. Uh, let's see how you go with your history, though, because we're, we're going back a bit for this last one. Oh, dear. <laughs> It might test you, Sam, more than it does test James. Dennis Connor, often seen as the villain when you think of New Zealand and the America's Cup. Connor has won it three times in the 80s. Mm. But in what year did he last compete in the America's Cup? Uh, It was the one... Well, it was the one in New Zealand, wasn't it? When bloody Paul Holmes had him on um, after that. Uh, So that would have been... The women, uh, when was that? 1990. Well, it would have been 95, wouldn't it? One of the worst things I have ever seen <laughs> done on a ticket Unfortunately, not. Uh, Sammy, over to you. I don't think it was. I know the Paul Holmes interview you're talking about, but I, it wasn't after New Zealand. It was after the one where they brought in the catamaran. I think it was. Oh, I want to say 91. That's your final answer? Yeah. One of the worst ah. things 
I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Mm. Uh, no, unfortunately not. Uh, of course, he's won in 1980, 87 and 88. But the last one he competed in was 2003. Uh, okay, yeah, must have uh. kept going for a bit after his his career was clearly on the decline. <laughs> clearly didn't on the decline. Me- didn't get the message. Yeah, no, uh, he, he stayed around. But, hey, James, you know what that means for you? That means you do get that $50 bonus bet uh, into your TAB account. So okay, hold the so- line and uh, Brian will get your details. You're welcome, James. All right, thanks a lot. Good game, mate. Cheers. <laughs> Just hey, just I just wanted a winner, you know. It's, that's my excuse. I've, I've been terrible at this, haven't I? Because the last time we did this, I also failed on the last hurdle um, to give them to give them the chocolates. But hey, I'm a giver. I'm You're a giver. a giver. You're definitely not a defender. I'll tell you that. I definitely am not. No. <laughs> um, the thing is, trivia. I I'm I've said this before on our show when we do our quiz segments. When the clock's running, when you're under pressure, that's when you do your worst. You know. I'm give me ten minutes and a piece of paper, and I'm fine. Um, Tons of text on the Timber Bed Post text machine on double eight double three. We'd love for you to keep sending them in. The two things we're talking about this morning. Firstly, Ross Taylor, his last game for the Black Caps this afternoon. We want you to give us your prediction on what do you reckon he'll score. And the closest person is going to get a fifty dollar TRB bonus bet. Um, at the moment, thirty seven is a weirdly specific and common answer. So I don't know if these guys know something I don't. Maybe Ross has said something about 37, but um, I've got about four here that all say 37. Um, there's a couple that are a little bit higher. There's ones towards the hundreds. There's a few in the 80s. A lot in the 30s. There's a 49. Um, Ross, someone said here, Ross, 19. More than happy to be off by about 100, though. I hope so, too. Now, Trent, and uh, I'm going to assume this isn't Trent Bolt, um, has sent in Ross Taylor, zero zero. Trent? I'm ashamed of you, my friend. I'm ashamed of you. Maybe you're just being realistic. I don't think he'll get out for a duck. Surely not. Surely not. He might run somebody else out. That'd be a really Ross Taylor way to go, wouldn't it? Um, I, I don't know. It depends whether we're chasing, doesn't it? If we're chasing a low total, then he probably isn't going to get a massive score. That's what some people have said with the 37, if we're chasing a low total. But um, if we are setting, I don't know. Maybe he does go bang. I'm going to go in the 80s. I'm going to go 87. That's my tip. The other topic we've been talking about um, off the back of Justin Marshall at the top of the show um, with the red cards. And look, I, lo- I know that we love, we hate that we love to talk about red cards. Um, but, the, but the question I asked Marshy was, do the players just need to get the message or are there unrealistic expectations on them in a game that is by nature very physical, very brutal? And there's going to be those accidental contacts. Um, some people have agreed. Some people have, uh, people have disagreed. Andrew has said, um, I disagree with Marshy. Once you leave your feet, you're no longer in control, which makes any contact reckless. That was in regards to Caleb Clark's one, which Justin Marshall said, you know, there are mitigating factors there. It wasn't intentional. Um, it was accidental. And you need common sense as a referee. There are ones that are much more blatant, and those are the ones that should be punished. Um Cam from Invercargill said, hey, Sam, Marshy is definitely correct in what he says. If you look at that Caleb Clark red card, Caleb jumped before the player kicked the ball, so, and he got taken out in the air. Can't see how he is the one that is red carded. I sort of can see your point there, how sometimes they rule those um, in the air tackles quite arbitrarily, so I can sort of understand where you're coming from. Um, someone's texting you saying, head contact, sorry, you have a player running at you, so you jump high in their path so they can only run into you. Same reason they've changed the rules on the ball carrier jumping over the tackler. So there's one 
um, disagreeing with Marshy. Um, just oh, those are warriors ones. I'll read those out very shortly. Um, but yeah, we'd love to get your thoughts. Double eight, double three on. Um, yeah, whether or not the red card to Caleb Clark was fair and also how you feel about the red cards at the moment. There were four in the first four games of Super Rugby over the weekend. Um, and I'm just wondering if, you know, there are other intentional ones where they're going in high, they're leading with a shoulder, you know, they need to change their technique. Um, but there are those ones that just, you know, they're mitigating factors and it seems like it's a harsh outcome for someone to get sent off, you know, when you're talking very small margins in a physical contact sport. Um, just two other texts here that came in about um, the Warriors. Um, we're going to speak to Vossi um, after 11 on the NRL over the weekend, including the Warriors. Uh, Brian says, morning, guys. Warriors versus Broncos was a terrible watch. They should have put 30 points plus on the woeful Broncos. Neither of those sides looked top eight. Panthers or Storm put 50 on both teams. Why is Sean Johnson even in the team? That's a very harsh take, Brian. I thought Sean actually brought a lot to that side on the weekend. I thought that was the difference in the previous weeks, was that Sean Johnson came in, and defensively I thought we were a lot more structured. Yeah, I don't think it was the best Warriors game. And I think I said to a friend of mine after I'd watched it that the Warriors can't play like that against sides that are above them because they probably won't win. It was enough against the Broncos. They are going to need a bit more. But hey, it got the job done and it was encouraging. So hope we hope from there that they're able to build a bit of a platform when they keep going. Um, unfortunately, Jazz Tavanga's out for two weeks. Somewhat of a loss. He's been great off the bench. Um and another text that came in from James said, Hi guys, read the Warriors. What do you make of all the guys allegedly wanting to leave? Do contracts mean nothing nowadays? Also, please sign Jesse Arthurs. Looks like an intelligent footballer. Um, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that I'm a little bit scared that um, the Warriors, we're going to see a few more of these players pulling out of the Warriors because they probably signed their contract under the sort of proviso that we are based in Australia at the moment and there's sort of no long-term... Well, there was a long-term plan to get back to Mount Smart, but nothing sort of concrete. And now that it's sort of firming up and we're going back to New Zealand, you've got guys looking at it going, well, I don't really want to move. That's not why I signed on. Um, And they're starting to pull out. I'm not a fan of it. And, uh, you know, I don't think the Warriors should allow it to happen. The Warriors have always had this, I guess, reputation of being very sympathetic with the players. And, you know, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, letting him go early, letting players leave if they want to leave. And it's sort of like, you know, protecting the player. But... You know, Kempe's point um, that he makes is that a contract's a contract. You know, you sign it, you should honour it. Um, I, I, like I said, don't think this is the end of it. I think there will be more. And Jesse Arthurs is great. He's fantastic. A great young centre um, that I definitely think the Warriors should think about signing uh, long term. Uh, there you go. Keep those six coming in. Double eight, double three. Lots coming in here now for uh, Ross Taylor's final score. Um, Brendan says Ross Taylor 12, but I'm hopefully way off. I hope so too, Brendan. I hope so too. And Trent. I hope you're way off too, my friend. Um, Quarter past 10 here. We're going to take a very short break. When we come back, it's the panel. We've got Lavina Good and uh, Bostol Rubin coming in the studio right after this. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yeah, it's panel time here on uh, SNZ Morning. Sam Hewitt uh, filling in for Smithy. Uh, he's back tomorrow. He's on a plane at the moment. And uh, we have uh, sports commentator and journalist Lavina Good on the phone and the boss dog, 
uh, Ruben Bradley in studio and uh, we've got like this little um, screen that Ruben's bought in. It's got my salary and it's just ticking down with every uh, <laughs> negative comment I make. Ruben, I'm under a lot of pressure here, mate. Yeah, oh, yeah he says, so you should be as yeah. well. I've, uh, the notes here. You've you got think, a big notepad? Well, so you think they're notes of what I might comment on the panel. <laughs> they're actually notes in your performance and the way you adjudicate this panel. Oh, my gosh. Here we go. Um, Sorry, Lavina. <laughs> Lavina joins us uh, on the phone. Um, let's start with the, um, the Women's Cricket World Cup because that's obviously been the talk of the last couple of weeks. Um, I guess no surprises. Yesterday it was, you know, the most dominant team at the tournament, the most dominant team in women's cricket, Australia. But I don't know, Lavinia, maybe we start with you. Were you, I guess, surprised at um, the way that England, I guess, didn't put up much of a fight? You know, we thought it might be a little bit closer. Were you surprised at that at all? Or was it just, you know, a symptom of the fact this is a very dominant Australian side? First of all, I thought the tournament was outstanding. I thought the coverage was remarkable and it's done so much for women's cricket, not just here in New Zealand, but globally. So I thought that was outstanding. I was really disappointed with the performance of the Kiwis. I, I think that there's, there'll be some changes, not just because of how they performed out on the pitch, but I do think that their leadership team and some of their the players that have been around a while, they'll have to make some changes and, and have more players challenging for positions, both bowling and batting. So that's something that they'll have to consider. But in terms of Australia's performance, I, I think judging from what they did in the semi-final against the West Indies, I'm not surprised that they reigned supreme against England. And I've just got so much to say about Alyssa Healy. I mm. mean, I know her uncle was a pretty good wicketkeeper <laughs> and her husband can bowl as well. But she did so well in the semi-final. She got 129 in the semis and then, you know, comes out and, and has that hit in a, in a final of a, you know, World Cup ODI. And Australia have won 40 of their last 42 matches. So they're the very best team in the world. They could possibly be the best women's team ever to come and compete in an event like this. And I, I just take my hat off to them. They were outstanding. The tournament was great. Lots of work to be done for the New Zealand side. I was actually going to ask, Smithy, we've got him on later in the show, if, if this may even be one of the most dominant cricket sides, men or women. I mean, can, Ruben, can you think of a men's team that has been as dominant as the women's Australian ODI oh, no, team? No, definitely not. And I think uh, it, it's always occurred to me that Tournaments threaten and teams threaten to absolutely dominate a tournament, but but never quite yeah. get there. You know that there's always one game perhaps where they trip up, or mm-hmm. but this from start to finish nine and zero, oh, and not a game where they were threatened. Basically, I've always thought that the All Blacks threatened to do that one year at the World Cup, and they almost did that in 2015. I think 2015 that, was that South Africa safe, game required yeah. that drop goal, but this Australia. Australian team yeah. has done it, and it's one of. Uh, I can't think of another example of someone of a team that so bossed a tournament that no one got within. Not a game was close. I really think it's important that we mention from 2017 onwards, and that's when they were defeated by England, and England went on to, to beat India for the World Cup. Australian cricket came out and said the only way we can be a dominant force in the World Series is if we inject a whole lot of money and a whole lot of support into women's cricket. Now that hasn't happened here yet and a decision will have to be made by Cricket New Zealand as to whether or not they want to inject more money into the women's game to make them more of a dominant force. That's what happened in 2017 for Australia. These women were able to be full-time cricketers and not just have to be working as well to bring in an income and also look after their families. They could put all of their time and effort into cricket and and that's the solution. You Mm. put more money into it, you give these players an opportunity to be better and that's what Cricket Australia have done and hats off to them as a result they have the best women's cricket team in the world and the winners of the World Cup. 
Absolutely. Um, Ruben, I know your um, kids have gotten in a little bit into the Cricket World Cup as well. Um, you know, we saw in 2015 with the Black Caps and the run they went on and, you know, making the final and what that sort of did for cricket in New Zealand. The numbers went up and all that sort of stuff. What do you think, A, this tournament is going to do for women's cricket and maybe cricket in general for New Zealand moving forward? And also, B, why do you think it was such a successful tournament? What did they do so well? Huh, great question. Um, I think that it will do a lot. I think I'm looking at my kids who were watching this tournament, four and six years old, and th- what was, I think, so encouraging is there was no question of this was a women's tournament or a second-tier tournament, which over the years, sadly, is is, is how um, women's sport has been treated. And it was so refreshing, and that was probably what would make the difference here, is that I, the ICC, and credit to those organisations that maybe maybe late, but those organisations have finally come to the party and said, OK, we need to run this tournament full noise. Mm. We need the A commentary team. We need to run all the venue things. Things just like we do for the uh, elite men's game, we need to give that equal treatment uh, in those ways. And I think those are the key factors that make this a classy, well-run, absolutely professional tournament. And I think that's probably the key difference. Lavina, what, what's been the standout for you this tournament? What's sort of propelled it to the sort of, I guess, heights that we're all talking about? When I, when it was interesting Ruben was mentioning that about the coverage. I, I really think the coverage has been remarkable. Like you wouldn't know if you're watching men or women's mm. cricket, and that's what I think is outstanding. The quality of the cricket has been superb. The fact the fans couldn't go, but then they could, made it even more interesting. So I think in terms of um, the, the value of cricket that we were able to see, it was very high, made it very entertaining. And, you know, you've got a really good product when your team's not winning, but people still watch. Now, I've been Mm. an ardent Warriors fan for a very, very long time, and they continue to lose. (laughs) And thank God for other teams in the competition, because the NRL is such a brilliant product, right? So they run it so well. The cricket was exactly the same. When the Ferns were losing, it didn't matter because the cricket was so superb, the coverage was so good. And that's great for world cricket in general. Another quick hats off as well to Sophie Devine, the captain um, of the firm. So I just think she's a, a tremendous leader. She's a brilliant communicator and she's also uh, dealing with type 1 diabetes day in and day out, you know. So she's having to manage her sugar levels on top of managing a team and being one of the best cricketers in the world. She's done so much for cricket in this country. I think she's just been a fabulous ambassador for the sport. Mm, she's a remarkable individual. Another um, remarkable individual will take the field for the final time this afternoon. Ross Taylor, last game for the Black Caps. And we've got people to text in on double eight double three. What they think Ross Taylor's final score this afternoon is going to be Ruben Bradley. We'll start with you, your prediction this oh. afternoon. <laughs> and don't say zero like Trent did on the text machine. Honestly, <laughs> I think it's going to be about 17 off. 36. I just, I, I don't know. On, I just, Ruben. I'm not feeling particularly optimistic after the last couple of days. And it's some, I, I love watching Ross Taylor bat, but I have forever felt on edge watching him. I've never felt like when, when Kane goes out, uh, you just feel rock solid. And increasingly, Tom Latham now uh, as well. I've always loved Ross, and the record stands for itself and so on. But when I watched Ross, I always feel on edge and never knowing which one is going to be a performance or which one is not going to be. He, he is one of those players that he um, once the innings gets going, you feel comfortable. Yeah, but I'm yeah. sort of in your cat. And remember, the, there was a big patch there where he was notorious for running out his partners. A he big made, patch he made, there called his career. It's called his career. Uh, he's gotten <laughs> slightly better. He's got slightly better. But um, I guess it does matter too whether we're 
chasing or setting this afternoon, doesn't it? Because if we are chasing a low total, he's not going to have the chance to yeah. go out big. Um, Lavina, what's your prediction for this afternoon for Ross Taylor's final game? First of all, Ruben, are you drunk? Are you drinking beer again? <laughs> Talking about the highest run scorer across all four mats. He's playing at Seddon Park, which is beautiful, just up the road from there. In fact, I'm going to get off the phone to you and text a few of my buddies and see if they want to go to Hamilton and watch uh, Ross Taylor do his bukana because he scores at least 50 runs, not just for his family and for his country, but for himself. I mean, he's played like 449 matches for New Zealand, scored 40 centuries, and, and 21 of them have been ODI. So I'm, I'm going to pay homage to this guy. I'm going to take some buddies. And not only do I expect him to score 50 runs, but I reckon he'll even take a wicket. How about oh, that? That would, be the, that would be the dream. He did it in his, uh, in his final test match, didn't he? he um, someone, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Someone said here he'd take five catches in the slips. So that's their sort of, you know, if he doesn't get 100, he'll get five catches uh, in the slips. Um, the panel with uh, Lavina Good and Ruben Braley, we've got to take a small break for news. Uh, want to talk some NRL? Want to talk some NRL and a little bit of Super Rugby? But uh, we'll get some news now at 10.30. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yes, the panel here on SCNZ Mornings. We've got uh, sporting commentator and journalist Lavina Good and the boss man of SCNZ, Ruben Bradley. Or how would you like to be introduced? Yeah, like I was just going to say, uh, sporting yeah, I think, expert. I don't slash... think that's the official title. Just content manager. Just content manager. Okay, <laughs> okay. I'm just watching myself here. Uh, let's talk a bit of NRL. I just, I just got to scribble that on the notes. <laughs> yeah, I could. Why do you already have five pages? I, mean, we have, I haven't even been talking that long. Um, let's talk some NRL, um, and we'll get to the Warriors very, very shortly. Thursday night's game between the Titans and the Titans. Uh, Tigers was arguably the worst game of rugby league I've ever seen in my life. It only went up from there, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, was it worse than I didn't see it? Was it worse than the Warriors? The Warriors Tigers was, was, was the previous wow. record, Ruben, and then That's a incredible. week later it was toppled. Um, but it did get better over the weekend um, with some great results, some great games as well. Um, the Panthers, Rabbitohs, that was an awesome game. But the Warriors uh, got a got a decent win over the Broncos, and the Broncos were favourites with the bookies going into that. Um, but the Warriors are uh, twenty points to six. Uh, over the Broncos. Uh, Lavina, I know you're a big r- rugby league fan. How uh, how impressed were you with that performance? I, I was actually really impressed with the Warriors. I don't often say that early in the season. I mean, that was a pretty scrappy game the week before against the Tigers, and they should have had the win against the Titans, but just had too many errors. Um, but I think what I, I, I really liked most about the Warriors is that they had some structure in their attack. Um, the first couple of weeks they've played, it's almost like that they get within their own 20. It's like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? We don't know. And I don't know if that's just because Sean Johnson's back because he's such a good orchestrator or that they'd been told, how about not so much fancy pants? How about we play pretty simple rugby league? Wait for the opposition to make the mistakes. If the opportunity's there, let's take it. And if not, let's wait for it. So the halves kicked perfectly. They put the ball in the right place because the halves set up all the field position. It was up to the big pack and the forwards to maintain that position and take it forward. So it was a simple philosophy from Nathan Brown, and I think having Sean Johnson back just made the difference for the side, and it was good rugby league. I actually enjoyed the rugby league. It was good to watch, and I hope to see more of it from the Warriors. And the lesson there, I guess, is you don't always have to be the entertainers. You can sometimes just play basic footy Mm. and beat a massive opposition. And they still have, you know, they still have those guys that are naturally exciting, like Reese Walsh. You know, gets a bit of open play, and he does excite. You know, you don't have to be, like you said, flashy on every play, Ruben. You're a, yeah. a massive Warriors fan. <laughs> I um, had been so surprised in the early part of the season how much, you know, uh, a grief Sean Johnson had come in for. Not not because he wasn't playing poorly, but just it felt too soon to be jumping all over him, and I just felt like he was being written off quite 
early on and it just felt bizarre and also the team in general as well had been treated a little bit in that way and statements of must win which didn't appear to be being used ironically or or as a little bit of a gag it seemed like people were already approaching it in this way and it felt you know much too soon for that um, but yeah I also think it's important not to as, as ugly as last week was uh, important not to that psychological of still getting that win and there was a bit of luck and the Warriors did all they could to try and throw that game away a couple of weeks ago Mm. but I think you know sneaking out the other side of it with the victory then holds you in good stead so you have that fluky confidence or you know perhaps unearned confidence that you bring into the next week and then you get a win that you earned a little bit more. Yeah, I think to your point about the must win, because I know that was talked about um, with us last week, and I think it was, I don't know if it was must win in the sense that like we're out of the eight and that sort of thing, but it was must win in terms of the confidence, in terms of the fans believing that, you know, yeah, we do actually have a pretty good team, and once things start to click, you know, we, and we if you don't win this game, then I, it's clear that you're probably not going to be good enough in the long run. Probably yeah. was the and, sentiment. And sure. that was sort of that. I was actually going to ask you about this, Lavina, because it was a good performance by the Warriors, and it was enough to get over the Broncos. But when you see those top teams playing, when you see Penrith, when you see Melbourne, you see Parramatta, and you compare them to Warriors, it, it's enough to get over the Broncos. But is it enough yeah. for them to get over teams that are above yeah. them on the t- on the ladder? I watched all the footy at the weekend. The Panthers are by far, hands down, uh, the best team in the competition at the moment, even on the back of um, the Melbourne Storm winning 44-0 against um, Canterbury. And they were winning. Penrith were winning without Nathan Cleary, so he's back. Mm. They've got everything kicked off at the moment. Mistake-free footy, their halves are connected. They know their purpose. They're doing everything that's needed. And the forwards um, aren't bludging. They're working really, really hard. So they're, they're ticking all the boxes. The Warriors at the moment aren't ticking all the boxes, but... What I did like about their performance is, is it wasn't riddled with errors, which their first two rounds were. So the only way that they're going to continue in this competition and win is to make sure that they don't make those mistakes that they made against the Titans. As for the Yields last night, the entertainers, oh, my God, they reminded me back of the 80s, eh? How <laughs> is that? I know it's been 30, 36 years since they've won a title, but was I watching Brett Kenny, the Zip Zip Man, was Peter Sterling oh. out there and Ray Price? I mean, was that the team last night, Mitch Moses? You know, yeah. and I feel sorry, feel sorry for the Warriors when we know they've got to come up against these teams. They've got the Cowboys next, who who lost against the Roosters, so they're they're you know running around with their tail in between their legs. So every game is an important game for the Warriors. But if they play mistake-free footy, they're in with a chance, and and they're rewarding their fans by playing mistake-free footy as well. I, I agree. A combat Stadium was absolutely rocking for that Eels game um, last night, and they did not fail to deliver. Um, another story that has been um, surfacing this morning um, is a video of Payne Haas and Albert Kelly of the Broncos um, involved in a little bit of a brouhaha, and um, I guess off the back of a loss, it doesn't look good. I don't know if it's confirmed when or where that video was shot. That could have been, I guess, earlier in the year or whatever, but it's it's not a good look Rubes for a side that's just come off the back of a hard loss as well. No, absolutely not. And it um, it sort of speaks to something I've been thinking about a little bit. You know, uh, team harmony and club harmony and backroom harmony. You know, it often just comes hand in hand with good results or bad results. So you're you know, it's often quick to go. Oh, there's obviously some fundamental things wrong at such and such club or such and such team. But often, what's going on is you're not performing, and then the 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 the, the um, Inverse seems 
correct as well. It's like, wow, that team has got great harmony. They've clearly got things uh, organised. The HR situation of that club is just humming. Probably business yeah. uh, is relative to this as well. Pa- it's pa- like, you're winning. Of course everyone's happy. Yeah, but the Panthers are a good example of that. You see them on the field, and, and it literally just looks like a bunch of mates. And they've cultivated that over a number of years, and it clearly has helped their success. I mean, as Lavina said, they are Chicken the number one team. Chicken well, it's true. success. Lavina, what do you make of it all? Yeah, I think it's, Ruben makes a good point. Team culture is something that's massive in the game of rugby league. We've had the rat bags in the past, and I love the game. I'm addicted to rugby league, and so many of the players that I've adored in the past have brought it into disrepute, and we don't need them. I think a, a club with good team culture where they're not you know, going out on that mad Monday and uh, doing stupid things to puppy dogs, which we've seen many times before. We don't necessarily mm. have to name Mitchell first. Oh, I, I named him. I, <laughs> him. I really think that the team culture is a massive thing, and um, hopefully... You know, the Warriors are moving into that healthy team culture. I know when Steve Price came over from Australia, the first thing he said is, I don't want all the pissheads in the team. I don't want everyone getting drunk. I want people that are here to play and be committed and determined. And you've got a few clubs out there, and and Broncos might be one of them, that aren't within that team culture harmony at the moment. But the Melbourne Storm, the Penrith Panthers, that have all had great recruitment policies, kept these kids from when they were young and just keep producing superstars. If their team culture is healthy, that'll reflect on their performance and also on their position on the ladder. Mm, absolutely. Um, just quickly before we let you both go, um, a little bit of Super Rugby chat. Now, I know you don't watch a lot of Super Rugby, Ruben. What, I mean, first, why is that? Because I don't watch as much as I used to as well. What What about it for you has sort of waned over the years? Oh, look, I did, honestly, it's just a time commitment to completely be completely honest, uh, you know that's a lot of a lot of Super Rugby to watch or a lot of NRL. Like there's a lot of sport on in the weekend, and you know there's a there, there was a day of watching all of the cricket, you know, and there yep. you go. That's it. so, you know, th- it's a good thing we've got so much good high level professional sport uh, that we can soak up these days, and you just don't get to see uh, as much of it. However, the one moment I did manage <laughs> Which to is the, one I'm gonna ask you the about. timing about was the red card. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been thinking about this uh, a lot of things. A couple of thoughts in no particular order. Just because it's an accident or without intent doesn't mean it doesn't deserve a red card. Mm-hmm. Do we le- need to look at the rules around charge downs from the side? Is that if you are charging, you know, uh, coming across ways to try and charge that kick down, are you asking for trouble? So does that need to be part of part of the analysis of it? Um, also, uh, Caleb Clark is one of the few people that could have got up that high to actually cause that particular injury. That's no excuse either, though. You need to know your own strength. Okay, now I'm going to respond to you that, and Levine, I'll come to you in a second. Now, an interesting point I raised with Justin Marshall at the start of the show is, you know, rugby inherently is a brutal and physical game, and we all accept that there are, you know, big problems around concussions, and, and we're trying to protect the head area, and I think a lot of people accept that. But there is a big difference between these acts of intent where, you know, guys are going into tackles with the shoulder, yep. You know, aiming for it for a sort of chest up tackle, which is always pushing the boundary a little bit. Now, those should be punished, but there should be a little bit more discretion from the referees when things are totally accidental. Maybe it's not a red card, maybe it's a yellow card. You know, as a, as punishment for this accidental act. But you know, are the players just not getting the message with these red cards, or is rugby just a game? that doesn't lend itself to completely being cleaned up. Like you just mentioned coming in from the side on a... Like if we start looking at charge downs Mm. of all acts as being dangerous things... You know, are we, like you could look at every little part of a rugby match and say that's becoming too dangerous. That's becoming too dangerous. 
Yeah, I agree that that you can it can be fraught, but I think this one is worth looking at, tweaking it. Maybe you say that particular one is, is not an option. Mm. Lavina, just quickly, your thoughts? Yeah, I think yeah, just quickly, I think there's a big difference between intentional malicious play and accidental, like Caleb Clark going for for a charge down. But in the end, World Rugby have said we want to cut down on the head high tackles and anything higher than an X. So the memo went out at the weekend. The red cards were. Um, allocated. But the thing is, for me, these sides that are getting red carded, they're still winning because 20 minutes later, a player can be replaced, which I find absolutely absurd. So if World Rugby want to get serious on it and they really want to say no more head high tackles, there's three things they need to do. One is once you're sent off, you're sent off. You don't get a replacement player. You shouldn't be allowed a replacement player. Two is the player that's been sent off and if he's found guilty of a head high tackle, hit them where it hurts. With the NRL and Rugby League made it hurts in the back pocket. These boys love to make money. So every time you do a head high tackle, you get a red card. Not only are you sent off for the rest of the game, but you've got to spend $10,000 on your charity of choice. And that will reduce the head high tackles. Third, if they're still doing the head high tackles, take six points off them, put it on the other team. Then there'll be no more head high tackles. I guarantee it. Bust them with the money, give them a 10 grand fine, done and dusted. Massive. Massive calls, Ruben. Good call. I agree with that as well. But I also think that these tweaks that we keep making to the game around head knocks and so on, people are like, oh, you're removing the essence of rugby, the collision game and so on. We haven't ruined the game yet. I'm not looking at it going, oh, that rule change they made last year, I can see that playing out now. You know, we haven't got there yet. Mm. The sky hasn't fallen in on the game. There'd be a lot of people who disagree with you on the text (laughs) machine, Ruben, but I'll leave that for another day. (laughs) Just Uh, wanted to fire it up. (laughs) Lavina, thanks heaps for coming. On Ruben as well, uh, the panel. Uh, we do it every morning uh, here with Smitty. Thanks, thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you. Cool. We will uh, take a very short break and uh, we'll come back with your texts. There's a few here on the Temper Bed Post text machine. We'll do that after this. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Sam Hewitt's uh, filling in for Ian Smith this morning through until 12 o'clock. Coming up after 11, we've got uh, Vossi to talk NRL, which is going to be a lot of fun. Very shortly going to catch up with Paul Mawati. Um, Polaris, great to have them on board as our new sponsor on the show. Uh, they're New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. They have ship SHIP, in case you missed that from Anaya, ship loads of vehicles arriving every month. You can visit your local Polaris dealer today. Just a quick text that did come in um, in regards to Rube Dog's comments, and I was just talking to him as he left the studio. Dave says, Morning, Sam. Rube Dog has lost the plot. Has he seen the crowds at Union compared to League? The League product is getting traction, and Union is losing its audience because of sanitation of our game. I said that as he was leaving, Dave. I said um, how he said, Oh, we haven't seen the game, hasn't been totally ruined. And I said, Well, I'm not saying that the red card thing is the only factor, but I think the game is declining very sharply. Um, and the fact that he didn't watch any Super Rugby over the weekend, I only watched one game and a bit of highlights, whereas I watched about six NRL games, I think sort of shows you that um, something's going wrong with, with Rugby Union at the moment. Um, keep your text coming in on double eight double three, the temper bedpost text machine. We're going to catch up with Paulie Mawati from the TAB right after this. Very, very shortly from the TAB, just letting you know, um, we're counting down the best pound-for-pound pound fighters as voted by you. Um, this is thanks to DAZN. Um, you got to head to SENZ's Instagram page to vote. Um, we've got a blockbuster this weekend as well. It's Triple G, um, the Ryota Murata, Saturday, April 9, and Ryan Garcia versus Emmanuel Targo, Sunday, April 10. Two fights for just three bucks, $2.99. you got to download DAZN from the App Store or watch on DAZN.com. That's D A Z 
N. Big fights, great price, any device, da zone. Paul Moate from the TAB joins us. You can bet live on your favourite sports. You've got to download the TAB app or you can go on the website and do it all on there. Uh, Mo, welcome in. Yeah, g'day. How's it going? Very well, my friend. Very well. Uh, what are we looking at today, mate? Pretty big weekend of sport. Must be a little bit of wash-up of that, but what's going on today? Uh, well, there's a full card of NBA games on uh, today, and we've got a same-game claim on two of those uh, games, uh, the late one being the LA Clippers taking on the New Orleans Pelicans. I've just had a look at the market there. Uh, not too much between uh, LA and New Orleans. Dollar seventy-five the home team, two dollars and five cents on New Orleans to win that match. Uh, in the power plays, I've just had a look at the best back selection in uh, the power plays for that game, and it's Reggie Jackson, Brandon Ingram, and CJ McCollum all to score twenty or more points. So if you were to put together a little same game multi, um, you probably wouldn't go too far wrong by backing either Reggie Jackson, Brandon Ingram, or all three of them, if you like, to score plenty of points today because that's the way the money is going at the moment in those power plays. So if you want to take a same-game multi uh, and qualify for a same-game claim, uh, just head to the TAB website, check out all the T's and C's. But, yeah, Reggie Jackson, Brandon Ingram, and CJ McCollum have been uh, well-backed in the power plays. I do love an NBA power play, Mo. Um, now, be honest, do, do you have the Broncos in a multi on the weekend? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Along with 99% of the uh, of the rugby league betting fraternity. Um, yeah, that's I the number one rule, Paul. You never, you never put the Warriors in a multi, mate? No, exactly. And I've said that before, um, <laughs> and I went against it. Um, and I think that was the one that tripped up, as you say, the bulk of punters over the weekend, the Warriors getting up. Um, there were a number who backed them head-to-head, uh, and as a single bet, mm-hmm. so uh, a bit of a success for the Warriors faithful out there. Um, but them winning 13 and over saved us a wee bit because they were very, very well supported uh, in the winning team of margin book to win by 1 to 12. So we we got out of jail a wee bit there, but th- there were some supporters of the Warriors, as there are every single week. Uh, I'm also just having a look at the Masters uh, market, which yes. of course starts this week, uh, the favourite at the top of the market, John Rahm at $10. Wow. Uh, Justin Thomas is at $14. And I can see Tiger Woods is in the market at $51. Of course, he still uh, hasn't decided whether he'll be taking part in the Masters, but currently in the market at $51. If he does turn up, you've got to say he's a bit of a chance. Oh, that's got Tom Brady written all over it. He's in there. He's in the <laughs> odds already. Someone knows something we don't, Mo, and I can tell you that uh, Reese Walsh penalty in the 77th minute, people would have been kicking themselves uh, when that took place because that took it out to uh, to 14 points. Um, yeah, because I actually did look at the um, the NRL sort of betting over the weekend and, and all the favourites were basically the ones that came in except for the Warriors. So it really was the only one that tripped people up, um, it, unfortunately it for them. It certainly was. Yeah, and uh, we've got the odds out for this weekend's rounds. Uh, Warriors slight outsiders on Friday night. They're a dollar ninety-seven, taking on the North Queensland Cowboys, who are favourites at a dollar eighty. Wow, that's still very close though, and it's probably fair too. Uh, Mo, thanks heaps for coming on, mate. Really appreciate it. That's uh, Paul Mwadi from the TAB there, uh, watching bit live on all your favourite sports. At tab.co.nz. Remember to gamble responsibly. Uh, coming up 11 o'clock, got news very shortly. And then Vossi going across the ditch, going to talk some more NRL.
Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Welcome back in ECNZ Mornings. It's not Smithy, it's uh, it's Sam, Sam Hewitt. Uh, Smithy back tomorrow. He's on a plane. We're going to catch up with uh, Smithy in about half an hour's time when he's uh, on the on the tarmac or off the tarmac um, to talk uh, the Cricket World Cup and Ross Taylor, his final game for the Black Caps this afternoon. Uh, but as we always do, on a Monday, we welcome in Andrew Voss. He's, of course, uh, host of ECN Breakfast over in Australia alongside Brandy. He's a Fox League commentator as well, and we've got him on the line. G'day, Vossie. G'day, Sam, and just come off air from a pretty lively uh, three hours over here. Uh, Greg Alexander, on Monday we have Maddie Johns and Cameron Smith part of the program too for an hour. Um, but all of us, were all basking in the glory of the World Cup, I must admit. Yes. Um, Smithy was so glowing in praise a few weeks ago when he said the finest performance he'd ever seen at a World Cup, men's or women's team, and how right Smithy was. What, what about that? Invincible. Mm. Invincible. Oh, I'm going to ask Smithy after 11.30, genuine question, has there ever been a more dominant cricket site, men or women? Because they've literally won, I think it's 40 of the last 42 ODIs they've played. They didn't lose a single game this tournament. And not even that, they didn't even look like losing. You know, even the All Blacks at World Cups, when we go in thinking we're going to go undefeated, will generally, you know, get pushed to the limit in some game. They, they just coasted the whole way. Yeah, and you go back over um, all the matches and look at the um, contributions of so many individuals. You know, not always of the magnitude of uh, Alyssa Healy with a you know 170, but everyone has you know could have a highlights reel. It seems from the World Cup bowlers, batters, um, some of the fielding, some of the catching um, was fantastic. We had Beth Mooney on the program this morning. No, we're very proud of what uh, the team. But I think all cricket fans should should be proud that we've got a team. Yeah, we'll be talking about this side for many years to come. Now, I do have to move on, Vossi, because if we talk about Australian cricket too much, I will get absolutely uh, pulled apart on the text machine, mate, as you would well understand. Um, The Warriors, I don't know if you know this, uh, Vossi, but the Warriors are in the top eight, and I'm pretty sure uh, the finals start next week, don't they? The finals start next week, is it? Back-to-back wins. Um, Now, I will say this. Their opponents, Brisbane, have far more problems than the Warriors do out of the weekend. I like uh, what Nathan Brown revealed after the game about... um, the Warriors' approach to the match, that they sort of stripped things back, you know, went to almost old-school rugby league. You know, mm. you, you lay a foundation up front, and they did that. Adam Fanua Blake and Matt Lodge, there were no two better front rowers over the weekend than what they did. They dominated the middle. Um, then you had, you know, Sean Johnson coming back. Sure, it wasn't his finest game, but, you know, still better game management than, than what Brisbane uh, threw up. Um, look, it's it's a win. It was an improvement on the previous week, and the fact is, they've shown improvement and they've picked up four points along the way. Mm. That's good. So now they're in better shape. Um, four rounds into the season, they're two and two, um, but have played their uh, best football for the season. So now, if they can go three and two after five, then that's not a bad start. No, and I and I think you sort of alluded to it there. I mean, it was a good performance, I think, to beat the Broncos. But I guess when you look at those teams that are sitting above them and, and the teams oh, that yeah. are and around them, there, there still was a lot of room for improvement. Oh yeah, and and the round proved that. Um, mm. The heavyweights stood up back to back to back games. You know, game six was Roosters Cowboys. Roosters class came to the fore. Uh, game seven, the first yesterday, Storm Bulldogs class came to the fore. Pappenhausen, Jerome Hughes, and and co. Cameron Munster, um, uh, Harry Grant, and then last night, Eels against Dragons class came to the fore. 
gee, the dra- uh, the Warriors would be thinking, if only we could have got Dylan Brown. Dylan yeah. Brown, best game of his career last night. He was really quiet last year, um, underwhelming. But last night, he again reminded us how good he can be because he's a terrific defender. But his attack is now coming together, both in a team role, but then also individually. What about his step for the first try? Oh. Dylan Brown becomes a huge X factor for Parramatta if he keeps that sort of form up. Yeah, and Combank Stadium was absolutely rocking as well. It sort of felt like um, a bit of a reality check round, Fossey, because those teams like the uh, you know the, the Cowboys and to an extent the Dragons with the Knights, you know, these are teams that yep. surprised people a little bit early on. But then, as you said, the big teams came to the fore this week. It's like a reality check. It's almost transmission as normal. Yeah, well, that's right. Over the first um, three rounds, we've actually uh, statistically on record it was like the closest number of matches we'd had through three rounds to open a season in the NRL era, going back to 1998. And then over the weekend, bang, you know, seven matches decided <laughs> by 14 points or more. And the only close one goes down as one of the worst games in history with yes. the Titans-Tigers. So let's try and forget about that. So, <laughs> yes, there is some work, some serious work this week to be done. And teams that have issues with their attack, and I nominate the Bulldogs, just watch some of the storm play yesterday. Mm-hmm. That was... That was a thing of beauty when you saw aerial shots of the way you know Jerome Hughes and others move around off the ball. Um, Matt, Matty Johns made a good comparison today, and, and Brandy talking about and Cameron Smith talking about the way Melbourne move around. It's like NFL, you know, just when they're at yeah. the line of scrimmage and suddenly players start to move around. Now that keeps defenses guessing, you know, even if it's just smoke and mirrors. But 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 throwing that little variable into the game, it is introducing a new element that normally sides don't do. They get shape, they set up for their block plays out the back. But Melbourne have got things going on even as the ball's being played. So, you know, other teams can, uh, uh, can, can watch and, and, and only dream of emulating. At least they can try. Yeah, they're just, they're just so smooth. You mentioned um, that Titans-Tigers game, which, yeah, is probably the worst game in rugby league I've ever watched. Uh, it trumped the game between the Warriors and the Tigers the week before, which was probably the worst game uh, I've ever watched. Um, Madge, Michael Maguire, he's sort of he's quite well respected this side of the ditch, obviously, because he's the Kiwis mm. coach. Um, and I think most people I've talked to, obviously, just almost feel sorry for him. You look at the coach's box and the guy just looks dejected. What's what's the talk over there? How long does he sort of have? How long's his leash before, you know, people start screaming for change? Well, the, the, you can either take this good or bad for Michael Maguire, but people are sort of basically saying, Well, who are you gonna get? I mean, how's it gonna make any difference? I mean, a coach comes in and takes over a team. Uh, you know, without an off-season training under their belt. How's it going to make any difference with the cattle that the Tigers ha- have? The problem, though, for the Tigers, big picture, is now attracting players. With each with each loss, they become less desirable. And if they are to acquire players, they then have to whack up the money. You know, they have to pay overs. Mm. And, and that is the horrible predicament the Tigers uh, face at the moment. But is there a coach out there they could get, other than those like a, a Bellamy, or a Bennett that would attract players, absolute outright, that you'd get them and they would accept less than what they've got. No, the Tigers have a real, not just an on-field problem, they've got an off-field problem, PR problem. I don't know how they deal with that. In fact, I do know the answer. The answer is winning. Now, I don't know how you achieve that with the squad they've got. But if they were to, you know, to get credibility, they will only get credibility first through being uh, competitive every week and then secondly, and hopefully for their sake, win games. But until that happens, it's going to be a long winter. Yeah, and it's interesting because not that not that I'm saying they're playing good football because they really aren't. But nah. you know, they push the storm in round one, and then this week and last week could could have 
won those two games. Yep. It would have been a very, very different story. It is sort of, yeah, it's bizarre that they are 0-4. But um, the Sharks, for me, have been the real, I guess, revelation this season. I did have them as a smoky for the top eight. Didn't think they'd sort of be as high as they are. Um, they've had some great additions, you know, Nico Hines, Cam McInnes, Dale Finucan, um, and they are playing great football. What, what are you liking most about the Sharks oh, this year? Cool. Certainties for the eight, and we'll be pushing for the four based on what I've seen the last three weeks, three wins in a row. I'll tell you who went so well on Friday night, uh, Sifa Talakai. Yeah. Like, seriously, I, I, and, I, and I do not apologise for putting it up this high. It's one of the best performances I've seen from a centre in the last 20 years. I mean, it was as good as a Mal Meninga or a Gene Miles at their very best. 21 runs, 205 metres, 15 tackle busts, try offloads, line breaks, line break assists. He did everything, and he was up against Dane Gagai, <laughs> the form centre in the competition. Yeah. So I, I think Talakai – so who's he going to play for in the internationals? I mean, there's so much to get excited about at Cronulla because it does look real to me. Halfback is, is killing it. Um, Hines, what a signing. Uh, and then you've got blokes like Talakai. You know, blokes improving – under an off-season with Craig Fitzgibbon. There is no doubt of that. And then some old heads like Dale Finucane in there, Wade Graham still to come back. Great wingers, Mulatalo and Katoa. Um, fullback Will Kennedy gets better. Yeah, they're, they're ticking every box at the moment, Cronulla. Mm. I, we can't obviously go through all the games from the weekend, Vossi, but what, is there another one or two that, that stuck out for you, res, oh, results that surprised you? Or? Yeah, yeah, no, no, just the uh, magnitude of the Eels' victory last night. They're, they're better. On what I've seen the last fortnight in beating Melbourne, Golden Point, um, and then last night against the Dragons, they were a better side than last year, and they came close to making the grand final. They are a serious contender, based on what I've seen. Uh, Roosters class returned against the Cowboys, so scratchy start to the season, but they look every bit of top four side. Tedesco, Manu, superb. Kiri, got a goal-kicking issue with the Roosters, but no, it was the round where the heavy hitters came to the fore. Mm. Even Manly, you know, it wasn't their yeah. best, but but a sign that you know they're going to be there again. So the others have got some catching up to do, at least from a Warriors perspective. They're doing it off winning games where there's some other sides that need improving to do that are losing. Yeah, absolutely. And just finally, um, Vossi, I'm sure this has been uh, a big talking point for you guys over uh, across the ditch, uh, the, the video of uh, Payne Haas and Albert Kelly um, that sort of surfaced. And I'm not sure yeah. what the latest is, whether it's a current video or one that's come from the past, but it's not a good look, especially after a, no. a defeat. No, no. Players, players have to own their behaviour. I have no trouble. I have no trouble in the world with players drinking. But when you're out in public, is that how you want to be? Is that how you want to be seen? They go, "Oh, well, someone should have filmed it." Well, no. You're coming out of a licensed premises. There are cameras everywhere. If there's a punch thrown, it's going to be seen by security or whatever. You know, Payne Haas is an Origin player. Albert Kelly's 31 years of age. Come on, fellas, grow up. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Vossi, mate, appreciate you coming on. As always, it's great to get your takes uh, on the NRL. Go well, my friend. Did I mention we're World Cup champ? Uh, well, probably. Sorry, uh, did you cut him <laughs> off there, Luke? I think we've lost you. I think we've lost you, Vossi. Sorry, the line's a bit scratchy, my friend. <laughs> go well, mate. Men, men's and women's. Oh, wait, no, I'm just before you go, Vossi. Um, Logan told me that you're taking a couple of weeks off, mate. Where, where are you heading? Oh, it's called school holidays. Um, sure. Got to take, take young Harry somewhere. He's had, uh, yeah, it's his last year of school, so we, we're trying to work out something special. But no, nah, there'll be football, of course. So I'll be tagging along to a few football matches. No, nowhere special. Just going <laughs> to spend a bit of time with uh, young Harry in his last year of school. Great stuff. Awesome. Fossey, thanks for joining us, mate. Cheers, mate.
There you go. Vossi, across the ditch, uh, SEM Breakfast commentator alongside Brandy. Um, as you mentioned, on Monday, gets um, Cameron Smith and Andrew Johns in the studio as well. So go and find that on the uh, podcast channels. It's, uh, it's well worth a listen, as is the captain's run on a Wednesday with Cam Smith. I listen to that quite regularly. It's... Um, yeah, it's a great it's a great listen. Um, there was a text here that I wanted to read out um, from Tony, who said the Warriors should remain in Australia and fly back for home games at Mount Smart and other places would solve a bit of problems with players and travel disadvantage. It's sort of funny you mention that, Tony, because they obviously fly over to Australia when they're based in New Zealand, and flying back here, I think they'd actually be doing it less because they could back to back away games over in Aussie and then I guess fly back for a couple of back-to-back home games. Interesting point. I don't know if that'll solve all the issues um, for some of these players who don't want to move over, but it's, you know, it's a suggestion. It's a suggestion. There's a few other texts in here on the um, red cards, which is also a great talking point. Uh, But we're going to take a very short break. And when we come back, um, I think Logan's going to take us around the world some sporting headlines uh, that you might have missed. Summer all winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. All right, 20 past 11 here on SNZ Morning. Sam Hewitt sitting in for Smitty, who is going to come up on the show very, very shortly after 11.30 news. But uh, we're going to hear around the world, thanks to producer Logan Swinkles, um, some of the headlines that uh, we might have missed. Swinks. That's right. I mean, the first one, though, you probably have heard it all throughout the day with uh, Araha Hathaway. Is, of course, Paul Cole winning the British Open uh, squash. Massive, mm. of obviously, keeping the run going there. Back to back. Back to back, as Drake would say, uh, keeping the <laughs> uh, his number one ranking in check as well. Uh, he's def- and with doing that, he's also defended his British Open squash title with that comprehensive straight game defeat of the Egyptian Ali Farag. Uh, dominated the opponent, the Egyptian, 12-19, uh, 11-6, and 11-4 victory. It only took 50 minutes. 50 wow. Minutes. That's, yeah, that's very impressive. I know. That was like, drop your racket, I'm done. I'm still world number one, baby. That's awesome from yeah. Paul Cole. Uh, and, of course, following on from that, he is now going to play in the World Doubles Tournament that starts tomorrow, so no rest for the wicked. Have you ever played um, doubles squash? Uh, yeah, I'll get to that in a second. Okay. Uh, so he's partnering with uh, <laughs> Joel with uh, Joel King, who yes, I actually uh, came up against uh, with uh, Warangi Kupu a few years ago for nice. a story. Uh, the funny thing was this was happening down on Tauranga. It was all uh, lined up by uh, old mate Jim Kays, and um, I was on a bit of a dusty ankle, so I wasn't moving around the court very well, and I was just so bad that Warangi actually just. He chucked me out of the court and he took on the doubles pair himself. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, doubles squash, I've played a little bit of squash. Um, and, like, two people in that glass cage is sort of claustrophobic enough. I can't imagine, two, like, four people all running around trying to hit the ball, um, banging into each other and all that. It sounds chaotic. No. But, hey, great great things for the Greymouth lad uh, from Paul Cole. This is what he had to say uh, after his British Open win. It's a very, very surreal uh, feeling for me. Um, my, my great friend Lee said to me before the event started, he said, um, you know, no one gave this spot to me easy, um, and, you know, so don't give it up easy. He used some more colourful words than that, but uh, I sort of, it sort of, you know, motivated me this week especially um, just to try and defend that spot as hard as I could. And all I wanted to do was just give my best effort out there. Um, you know, I, I played some amazing players this week, and Ali... 
it's always such a, a tactical battle and such a mental battle um, between us and uh, it's just enjoyable squash. Um, he's a great champion. I've got so much respect for him. Um, what he's doing at the moment with his family, you know, travelling around him and Noor, it's just incredible. So um, I'm very, very um, proud to win this title against, you know, such a great champion. And one final question before you go. How does it compare second time round? I mean, we saw how emotional you got last year. What's the, the comparison that you, that you go through here when you pick it up for the second time and defend yeah, it? Yeah, um, it's easier to drink out of. You know, uh, no. um, I mean, holding the number one spot and winning the title, it's, um, it's, there was a huge amount of pressure on this week, and I'm just extremely proud to win that and hold my ranking um, you know, for another month at least. Um, we've got to do it all again in a month. So, um, But yeah, it's, it's just an extremely proud feeling. There's a tre- tremendous amount of pressure on me the last couple of weeks and I'm just really proud of myself for, for pulling through. And not dropping a single game along the way to the final and in the final. Ladies and gentlemen, your 2022 Alam champion, Mr. Paul Cole. Yeah, we love you, Paul Cole. How good. That was amazing from awesome you, mate. Guy. Yeah, I love it. Uh, of course, uh, he's not the only Kiwi that's done well uh, quite recently. And by recently, I mean within the last uh, hour or so. Stephen Elka doing well over there in the PGA Tour Champions. Yeah. Yeah. He shot a 7 under 65 in his final round uh, to win the Rapid Scan Systems Classic in Mississippi by six shots. Now, going into that final round, Sammy, he did have a one shot lead after getting a tournament record 10 under 62. So he surged right to the top of the leaderboard there. One shot lead. He held it. Get this, yeah, six shot lead to end it. He's He did really well in this final round. He uh, Just going on to that back nine, he got back to back to back birdies on the 10th, 11th and 12th. He got another on the 14th and then just did it again on the 18th. Just cool as you like. Good Hamilton man. Um, and I'm just looking at the purse for the Mississippi Golf Resort Classic. Uh, 1.6 million. I'm not sure. I don't think he gets all 1.6 mil. I think it gets divvied up. But a pretty handy paycheck. So what I have, yeah, what I have there for, I believe this is in New Zealand dollars. Okay. 347,000 for his win. Not bad that's for a couple a, days. That's a bad, oh, not a bad day. That's a great day on the green. That's a Sorry. great day, mate. <laughs> that's a great day. A couple of days work. I mean, I'm, I'm trivialising that a little bit, but I'd love to get 375k for hosting Smithy's show for four days. <laughs> mate, what, what do they say on that classic app? Mate, you're dreaming. Yeah, no, 100%. No. Uh, so outstanding work from him. Uh, not the only golf news going around, though, of course, because Oof. Tiger Woods' watch is still in full force with the Masters coming up. Uh, Tiger Woods has actually come out and said that he's a game-time decision. He's starting to sound like an NBA coach. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's very LeBron-esque. It is. Game-time decision. Now, Paul Mawadi, though, saying he's 51 bucks a TB, it's like, I don't know if we talked about this, but Tom Brady was, like two or three months ago, a bookie released the MVP book for next season, and he was on the book, even though he had retired. And everyone speculated that he knew something everyone else didn't. And I'm wondering if Tiger Woods, similar thing here. He's he's on the bookies, uh, you know, betting radar. Maybe he's just playing the field a little bit. It'd be great to see him out there again. It would. That was the one he won in 2019 as well, remember, um, after having like an 11-year break. Um, yeah, not sure Not sure he's still got it in him, old Tiger. I mean, he, he's clearly committed to it because he, he's been there for a while. He's done a few practice rounds uh, with his son yeah. as well. But you know that... Um, I need to actually go find the actual figure for this, but the the pay for just being in the Masters is very inc- it's incredible. Even if you only make the like the first cut, um, you get a pretty big payday. So that's uh, that's a bit of an enticement as well for for Mister T. 
Yeah, and I've seen that the tea times are announced uh, Wednesday New Zealand time, I believe. So perhaps that is when the ball will drop on whether Tiger Woods is actually going to be. Is that be- a pun? Yeah, is that the a ball drop? That's terrible. Sorry, That's... mate. That was completely but you are a dad. You are a dad. Uh, I guess I got to <laughs> lean into it. Last one for me on uh, around the world here. The Aussies, mate, they are starting to really take on all the Rugby World Cups because World Rugby has now announced that they're the preferred candidate to host the 2029 Women's Rugby World Cup. Uh, of course, I believe they already have the 2027 one, so that would be massive for the game in Australia. I mean, they are struggling on times, and I have lived in Sydney and worked in Sydney and seen a lot of disinterest in rugby. Uh, will this kind of help turn the tide? You know, it remains to be seen. But they are very, very excited that uh, World Rugby has given them the nod. That's a great, um, great point because we we've talked about it a lot with this Women's Cricket World Cup. A, a World Cup in Aussie might just be just what they need to sort of re-kickstart, reignite the passion. And you mentioned the 2027. I know they're in a bid with the USA. Um, so it's Aussie and USA going for 2027. If they had the Men's World Cup in 2027, the Women's World Cup in 2029, that is the perfect um, sort of back-to-back to try and yeah reinvigorate the rugby scene over there. Yeah, and speaking of the Americans, I mean, they're also in cl- exclusive talks with World Rugby to host the 2033 event. Wow. So but women's event. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, women's rugby, rugby in general, making headway in, in uh, USA, that's yeah. awesome. I, I know Rick Salizzo was over there with uh, New York Rugby doing great things as well, so... Who knows, maybe uh, America will be on the up in terms of rugby. Well, we've talked about that quite a bit in the past. You know, America, all it takes is for them to get excited about something, pour a bit of money into it, and um, it'll do very well. It's never going to be as big as the other four sports in America. Everyone knows that. It's never going to be as big as baseball, football, NHL, etc. But it doesn't need to be. It, it, you know, America's medium size is everyone else's extra large. So oh, even yeah. if they do it, I guess, half-hearted, totally. everyone else, it's still going to benefit the rest of the world. And I mean, we even talked about, it was about three or four years ago, there was talk of uh, sort of converting Super Rugby to, uh, you know, pulling in American teams. Not that the time zone was very, very friendly, but um, yeah, we'd love to see the Americans get involved. There you go. That's uh, around the world. Love it. Um, Swink's bringing you the headlines each and every day. Uh, we're coming up to 11.30 news. We're going to catch up with Smithy after the news talk uh, some cricket. Ross Taylor's final game this afternoon for the Black Caps. We've been asking you to text in double eight double three the Temper Bedpost text machine. What you reckon you'll score this afternoon? What's Ross Taylor's final score for the Black Caps? And if you're spot on or even if you're close, if you're the closest... We'll give you a fifty dollar TB bonus bet. So text in double eight double three. What you think Ross Taylor will score for the Black Caps this afternoon? Going to catch up with Smithy very soon, but first we have some news. Eleven thirty two here on SCNZ. We're going to catch up with uh, Smithy very, very shortly. Before uh, we get to Smithy, just got to remind you about uh, Dog Speed, which is every Sunday, eleven till twelve. If you're a big uh, Greyhound fan, then Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed, hosted by Mark Rosanowski and Andy McCook, is the place to be on a Sunday, eleven till twelve. And speaking of Greyhounds and Greyhound New Zealand, um, they're helping us each week. Uh, we've got four charities that we uh, race for. We pick a greyhound, they race towards the end of the week and the money goes towards our chosen charity. Our chosen charity, Woman's Refuge, is it? Woman's Refuge for Smithy. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we've got uh, Smithy on the line now. I understand he's uh, either just on the tarmac, tarmac or just about to get offered. Uh, welcome in, Smithy. Yeah, g'day. How are you going, mate? This morning, uh, just headed, just getting back into Hawke's Bay, actually. So Brilliant. Yeah, after a long, mu- a long month on the road, it's been pretty special. It has been a it has been a long month for you, Smithy. I'll let you know, mate, that um, you've got a new show sponsor, Polaris. I'm not sure if uh, that's the work I've been doing, uh, whether I should take credit for that or uh, if it's been someone else. But you've got a new sp- show sponsor, Smithy, so that's good news. That is great news. I'm very grateful for that. Just made some room in the garage as well when I heard that, so that's cool. <laughs> I can see you on one of those 4x4s, Smithy. You'd love it. You'd absolutely love it. <laughs> Speed around the golf course. Mate, um, let's talk about yesterday, uh, the final. Uh, Australia winning by 71 runs um, after a scintillating 175 by Alyssa Healy. Uh, I don't really know where to start, Smithy, because the team, they're just so dominant. Everyone tipped them as the you know the favourites, the winners. They won all nine games. They didn't even come close to losing. I mean, was there, was there any doubt whatsoever that they were going to, you know, win this final? I don't think so. Um, the only possibility they had yesterday was perhaps losing early wickets. Um, but England didn't uh, create enough there. And, and uh, once Healy and Haynes have been outstanding as a combination throughout this whole last month, once they got set, that was it really. And, and you know, we just wax lyrical um, in the commentary box. And, you know, when we actually went on air, we are just, gasping at just how good uh, Alyssa Healy's w- innings was and of course it's now the biggest innings ever in a World Cup final including uh, all the blokes that have had a crack at it so I mean it's, and it'll stand up there for a long time it's just it was simply uh, an amazing performance which took the game pretty much away from England I mean England's, England's run chase in a way was, was pretty impressive it wasn't good enough but uh, they, they averaged uh, what six six and a half runs per over at one point, and they were, they were flying along. They just kept losing wickets. Had they mm. had one more partnership of 50 or 60, we may have had a, a thrilling finish, but you, you kind of felt Australia had it under control the whole time as long as they were chipping away. Yeah, it was a hell of a final. Um, the most impressive thing for me was the crowd. Yeah, It was pretty much a sellout. It's pretty much a sellout. And, you know, a, 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 a match not involving New Zealand, um, you know, I, I thought the people of Christchurch were, were, were absolutely fantastic. Mm, I'm going to come back to that to that point, um, Smithy. Something I've been asking um, people sort of throughout the morning, and um, we did it during the panel. We've been asking on the text machine double eight double three, and I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but can you? Is there been a team as dominant as this Australian women's ODI team across any form, and and you know, male or female? Can you remember a team that's actually been as dominant as they have been? No, and, and if you look back further, I think in the last five years since they lost their opportunity to win the World Cup back in 2017 and England won it, they they set out a blueprint um, for that particular day yesterday, really, to get to that point, and they've, they've scarcely lost the game. Uh, you know, uh, one of the most galling stats about our performance in the um, one-day international cricket is that uh, we have failed to bat out our overs and... 23 times in the last three or four years, Australia have only failed once. Wow. Uh, and so, you know, I think Megan Shute, who bats at 11 for Australia, has had four innings in the last three years. And, uh, I mean, it's just, you, you just kind of compare. But the, the fact of the matter is they're just too strong. They've got too much depth. They've got so many good players back in Australia who didn't make the squad. They've got so many players that they, you know, that... Um, uh, are coming through at age group level, etc. I mean, the future looks so bright for them. It really does. And the problem for us is we've got to find that 
that that depth. Uh, Australia and England, a lot of people remarked on it, even uh, the Minister of Sport was uh, in the back of the commentary box at one point yesterday, and he, he, he remarked, uh, Grant Robertson, that you know it's no great surprise that those two teams were in the final because they're clearly the best resourced, best prepared, best backed by their, their, by their governing bodies. So uh, it all came to the truth yesterday. Mm. Uh, now, you mentioned the tournament, you know, the, the success that it has had um, throughout the country, even though that the White Ferns uh, haven't done very well. And I've asked um, people, you know, why they think that is. Why do they think that the tournament captured our imaginations? And a lot of them put it down to the coverage, Smithy, and that, that's credit to you and your team. But if you could pinpoint, I guess, one or two reasons why you think this tournament was so success- successful, what would you put it down to? Well, I think there's a, you know, it's a big opportunity for women's sport. This is the first of, what, three World Cups where hosting or co-hosting. Uh, so I think there's been a big push for, for, for women's sport at the highest level. And, and I think uh, the good news is, as I look around the country, is, is everyone is buying into that. And I, I think that's huge. And, um, and that, that's a reflection of that. Uh, there was a novelty about it. Um, I think, there was, uh, I think a, a lot of people thought, well, just how good are these, these ladies at playing this damn game? And, and they were... They were surprised, I think, initially, and then it was confirmed on a daily basis that there yeah. are some very, very fine cricketers playing women's cricket, uh, and they got into it. I'm led to believe there's, there are blokes uh, who, who not, would never normally give women's cricket the time of day who who uh, are actually into it now. Uh, and so I think if that's the case, um, aside from Australia's brilliance and the fact that they won it, I think it's probably the biggest plus. I think... At one, at one, at one spectators, at one, I say it won the hearts of people, but at one, at one, um, a big victory for women's sport and women's cricket. I think you're bang on, Smithy. Maybe won the sceptics as well, because I was probably one of those mm. people that, you know, not that I ever bashed women's cricket, but I just didn't watch it as much and, and probably thought yeah. that, yeah, it wasn't as, I guess, competitive and, um, I guess, exciting, but it really has, it really has delivered throughout this tournament. Uh, a couple of uh, quick fire ones for you, Smithy, and uh, I'm going to ask you for a few of your tournament awards. Um, your individual batter and bowler of the tournament. Well, interesting. Um I guess you have to go, uh, Alyssa Healy, because she delivered on the very finest stage, and that was the semi-final and the final, back-to-back hundreds. Just, just a freakish performance there. So you'd go there. But the interesting thing about uh, if you take Alyssa Healy and you say who was the best player day in day out for Australia, it wouldn't be her. It would be Beth Mooney. Mm. Uh, Beth Mooney just did not fail. I mean, she did everything absolutely right. She was just fantastic for them. So I would have thought, we were talking about it last night, that if you're picking the MVP for Australia, it would be Mooney, but player of the tournament ends up uh, being Alyssa Healy. So for her, outstanding, this girl, Eccleston, Sophie Eccleston, uh, she's got a problem with Australia, there's no doubt about that. She dominated everyone else in the tournament, so I think she was a leading wicket taker by five wickets. So nice to see spin being such a factor. Look, look out for the Solana King, Australian league spinner. She is something special, really special. So just keep... Keep your eye out on her. Um, and, you know, just Australia set the yards. They, uh, for, uh, they've set it very high now. Um, and, and they've got quality players. So I, I just I just kind of felt that, you know, they, they, they covered more bases than anyone else and they covered them two or three times. So mm. they've got the, the, the likes of um, McGrath, Talia McGrath, uh, Annabelle Sutherland, um, you know, they've got players that we're only just seeing come into international cricket. So they've got the all-rounders sorted out. So Australia set the standard, but Eccleston probably the standout spinner just.
Uh, the team that surprised you the most this tournament, Smithy? Yeah, right. Okay, the team that surprised me the most. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's an interesting one because uh, I think South Africa, I, I really think South Africa were, were better than I, I thought they were going to be, more competitive than I thought they were going to be. Um, and they fully deserved and they confirmed their place in the semi-finals pretty on, early on in the piece. So I don't have... I don't have any issue saying that I think South Africa were probably the side that, that impressed me the most, apart from uh, the top two. And just finally, um, Smithy, there is some uh, some men's cricket going on this afternoon. Of course, it's a pretty big game for uh, Ross Taylor, who's playing his final match for the Black Caps. We've got people to text in on double eight, double three. What they think his final score is going to be, and we've got a bonus bet up for grabs for the closest uh, better. Smithy, what do you reckon Roscoe is going to do this afternoon? How do you how do you think he wants to go out as well? I think he wants to go out with at least 50. Uh, I think he needs to occupy the cruise for a while and just soak it up. I think he's been a bit frantic lately. So I'd like to think that he, he takes time uh, to get out there. I want New Zealand to bat first um, because uh, I think that gives him an ideal opportunity to play an inning of substance. I'd hate to think that you know, we knock over the Netherlands for 120 and we, we get them one down and Ross doesn't get a bat. So I think from that point of view, I think we need him to... New uh, New Zealand to bat first. I, I'd like to see him go on with about 25 overs to go and play a real innings of substance and just um, appreciate the, the occasion, appreciate the situation. So I'm going to say Ross Taylor's going to get 66 this afternoon. Oh, there you, go. there you go. Smithy putting it out there with 66. Fantastic, Smithy. Uh, looking forward to having you back uh, on air with us, mate, and uh, we'll make sure that the Polaris is, uh, is on its way down in the next uh, couple of yeah, days. Cool. Absolutely, mate. Uh, I'd like a nice uh, dark green one. That'll be cool. I can pick my colour. That'll be cool. <laughs> sure, I'll see what I have requests I can put in. There you go, uh, Smithy joining <laughs> us. He's uh, he's back on deck tomorrow. Uh, I'm just filling in, just filling in uh, until Smithy gets uh, gets back home. Um, we're going to take a, a short break. I've got a few texts I want to get through here on double eight double three. You can still text through your prediction um, for Ross Taylor's final score this afternoon. The closest one gets a TAB fifty dollar bonus bet. You can text the Timber Bed Post text machine. Double eight, double three. Back in a moment. Welcome back in. Twelve minutes away from twelve, and Staffy is coming up very, very shortly after twelve. We're going to catch up with him in just a little bit. Um, I did want to get through your text, though. I've been talking about it all show. Um, Ken says we're talking about the red card to Caleb Clark, and just red cards in general. He says, Sam, the red card to Caleb Clark was a joke. Some of these refs need to be stood down after poor performances. Let's hope he doesn't get banned for any more games. That's uh, from. Ken, um, Sam in the Hawks Bay, great name, has said if a player in rugby, in a player in league, in all rugby, is in the act of scoring a try and is airborne like a lot of wingers are when going for a corner, can they be tackled? Laws would say no, but that never gets called. It's a good point, Sam. I know in rugby league, um, I think they have a thing about if you go to the air for the corner, that's your choice as an attacking player and the defender is able to like push you out if um, if they want to so that's slightly different in rugby league I'm not sure if it's like that in union um, someone else's text here I love rugby but what stri- frustrates me the most is when halfbacks box kick from the from the back of the ruck or scrums to me it's a 50-50 play for a gain of 10 to 15 metres I cannot see the point of it New Zealand rugby halfbacks seem to do it more than any other nations I think a lot of people share that sentiment I, in fact I don't even know anyone that actually likes box kicks now I know you could talk to a coach about it you could talk to players and they'll tell you it's tactical and it's important but from a viewer's point of view man it's boring when they're just doing it back and forth isn't it Brian says my my uh, Roscoe prediction is 111 off 90 balls I love that Brian love that from you um Jeff 
This is a really good text, actually. He says, good morning, Sam. As a ref uh, for 25 years, oh, he's been refing for 25 years. As a ref, we have to make a call. Was it bad technique or accidental or careless? And that's the issue. It's a directive from Sanzar board and IRB board to protect the players, and that's the way Northern refs rule. No exceptions. It's a red card. Um, and then the text has, like, disappeared on me. I can't scroll down on it, unfortunately. Um, but, um, yeah, interesting. The North are pretty pretty black and white with their red cards, aren't they? Fantastic text. I know Staffy's going to jump in on this after 12 as well. Um, so we'll catch up with him after the break, and uh, he'll give us a little preview of what's coming up from 12 to 4 on ECNZ. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.